listening to the bomb hole. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. Okay, we are back in the booth at the bomb hole presented by Pub Beer, Wild Mike's Pizza, and Solomon Snowboards. Now, my friend, Stony Buds, what is happening? How are you? I'm so good, dog. Always love hearing that. To my left, we have... Jossie Wells in the building. What's going on, Jossie? What up, boys? Thanks for having me on. Hyped to be here. Now, you are our second uh, New Zealand original. Uh, first was Steffi. Oh, yeah. Let's just get into it. You grew up in uh, Wanaka, New Zealand, correct? I did. A little uh, mountain town, bottom of the world. Absolute paradise. It's design. Now, I've heard uh, your dad, Bruce Wells, legendary surfer. Like paint a picture for us. What was what's Bruce Wells' vibe? Bruce Wells and Stacey Wells are both from uh, Central Coast in Australia. Grew up surfing, and uh, a couple years before I was born, uh, they moved to Wanaka, to the mountains to work at Cadrona, and uh, decided to stick around and have the family there and uh, bail on the beach lifestyle and chase the peaks. And you got a bunch of broskies. I do. Three younger broskies, all my best mates. You guys just uh, beat the ever-living shit out of each other growing up? Or what? <laughs> You're lucky you were the oldest. Huh? Never too crazy. I mean, we had brothers, you know, we got down, but never too crazy. Um, yeah, three younger bros. It was like the big boys and the little boys. It was always like Brian and myself, then there's like three years, and then the other two. And now the little boys are the big boys because they're way taller than us, and it's just flipped. So, yeah, those boys are awesome. So does Bruce, he get down on the surfboard? Is he a shrouper? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bruce goes hard on the surfboard. He's a little older now, so he's like still on a shortboard, though. Maybe he should be like on a longboard, like cruising, but he's still like snapping away, Mm -hmm. going hard on a shortboard. Now, from what I understand, he ran ski patrol, Mm -hmm. and uh, you were pretty much kind of like a little bobblehead kid around uh what's the what's the resort in Wanaka? Cadrona? Cadrona. Cadrona. Yeah. yeah, that's where you basically were raised, huh? Yeah, so uh dad was running ski patrol for 20 odd years. Mum was working up there um in the cafe and the childcare center. So me and the bros pretty much just grew up in that patrol room, going up the hill every day with dad and mum and uh yeah, just skiing all day every day. It was insane. We were like ripping around the mountain before we were like big enough to actually get on the chairlifts ourselves, but we're ripping around solo and we'd have to like ask the lifties every time we rolled through, like, can you lift me on? And they'd lift us on and slam the bar down. But you were solo. Yeah, just me and my brother Byron ripping. And you're old enough to where you kind of predate twin tips, right? Like you grew up racing and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, started racing at age six or seven. Um and then I vividly remember the first time I saw a pair of twin tips. Um, it was actually Solomon used to, uh, they used to give the Cadrona Ski Patrol demo skis for the season to try out. And so I walked in the patrol one day and dad goes, yo, Jossie, come check these out. And there's these <coughs> Solomon 1080 twin tips sitting up on the wall. And he's like, they're half pipe skis. You can go up the wall and come down backwards. I was like, <laughs> like, what? Twice too big for me, so I had to wait a few years to get get some of my size. But uh, that was the first time I saw kind of the avenue I wanted to take skiing. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, deal, thinking about that. And also, listen to the fact that you raced before that. 
I was thinking about like back in the day, I remember like Danny Cass, you know, Lane Knack, even myself, I've done a handful of them, but like a lot back in the day, snowboarders would race too. Probably when you were boarding buds, right? Everybody, oh, dude, we were, everybody was racing. Do you, do you think there's like major, um, fundamentals built off of racing for that translate into like free skiing and shit like that? Big time, big time. Like, I mean, you got to have your foundations, right? You know? And so if you've got that foundation of, you know, being able to technically load a ski, turn it, blah, blah, blah. Like you can kind of adapt that into anything. Um, especially when it comes to like half pipe riding, you know, if, whether you're a skier or a snowboarder in the half pipe, you're like, you need to be able to have crazy good edge control, know how to load it up, know when to release it. Um, and I think, yeah, any of those, I think in the like park, it's a little bit not as mandatory, but definitely in the half pipe, the edge control is crazy. Yeah, that's we had James Jackson on, and he was kind of breaking down how he takes his riders. He's a performance coach for Red Bull, you know James, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And he was kind of explaining like how he will take a young rider and break them down to fundamentals to like turning, and then build them back up. Like, well, you're not ready for a 360. Let's make sure you can go edge to edge first. But I just was randomly thinking about how important edge control is. Yeah, totally. I think Especially. if like if James had a snowboarder come to him that had raced as a snowboarder as a kid and had those fundamentals already built up, he wouldn't have to strip them back to that because it's, it's just part of their riding already. But, you know, if you didn't spend that, that time in those gates and with those coaches, like, learning how to actually edge control, um, you know, I think a lot of times you have to kind of go back and build up that foundation so that you can go and do the wild stuff. Mm-hmm. Think about all those kids in the ropes in Minnesota that don't really get to learn edge control. Yeah, you just go straight into the rail, yeah, and then they don't but even you have can. Time. Yeah, I mean, I mean the rail control is wild. The whale, yeah, they you have know the rail I mean? control. Yeah, totally. Like put those guys in the streets, and it's game over. And I, I do think if you're going to do it like a two seventy or three sixty onto a rail, you do there is a degree True. of loading it off your edge. Maybe maybe not fundamentally, but uh, yeah. But uh, you know, earlier off air, we were talking about how kind of ski culture versus snowboard culture, which is always a fun topic. We've talked about it a bunch. And, um, you know, I don't know. Let's just kind of dive right right into that because, you know, you were kind of essentially talking about how – explain your experience with the half pipe as a skier and then how that Mm -hmm. how you weren't allowed to ride and then how that translates into snowboarding and everything like that. Yeah, dude. I mean, if you're like – trying to ignore the fact that there's like something in the air with the ski and snowboard thing like you're just a bit delusional i mean even today in 2021 um and i think to understand it you actually just have to understand the culture and where the two sports and their cultures originated from and like with snowboarding snowboarding came along those dudes are riding boards skiers wouldn't let them at the resort they got their back up they're like all right we're the punk rock kids we're gonna go anti-establishment snowboarding's our thing and it was kind of like bred into the culture that you're like you were kind of rebels you know what I mean and then you kind of see the snowboarders start building half pipes and kind of you know building pipes building jumps starting to slide handrails starting to build rails to put in the snow building train parks and stuff and like that was snowboard culture like snowboarders made that right they adapting skate ramps adapting skate parks street skating same kind of thing like trying to make it happen on the snow and so you know for for a long time it was like that is snowboard culture you guys created that um and when i was a kid you know we had a bunch of half pipes at cadrona and it was like huge for snowboarding like it was they had four pipes at once 
with like chockers with people hiking like it was full noise and skiers weren't allowed on the pipe that's just how it was and so my dad had to roll with us in his patrol vest stand at the top and let me and my brother byron ski through and then he'd cruise <laughs> through and the only time we could go to the pipe was when dad was with us and that's just how it was that was part of the culture you know and then over time skiers were like all right like the snowboarders are created this pretty rad thing let's get into this start doing that and so the birth of free skiing separate from you know freestyle aerials or racing or free ride um you know they start getting into the parks and pipes and it's dope and they're having a great time and so and i think that's when the like the ski and snowboard beef like it originated from not being allowed to ride resorts but then it then it turned into like well now these skiers are coming into our zone and, and we've we've got this half pipe and now these skiers are here like what like this is our thing you know and so I think that's that's probably where it all kind of stemmed from for a long time. Um, and then over time, it's just kind of morphed into this one thing. And nowadays, it's like ski slope style, snowboard slope style, park and pipe, big air. It's all like kind of the same thing. And kids are growing up with an option. It's like you, you can do one or the other or you could do both. You know, like I think a lot of kids nowadays, they're a snowboarder. They still have a bunch of friends that are skiers and vice versa. And whether you're standing forwards or standing sideways, if you watch the tricks and you watch what's being done, like it's pretty much the same thing. And I think it's like the same type of the same type of person that's getting into it, whether they feel more confident on skis, so they stay on skis, or vice versa. Um, it's kind of turned into this thing where it's it is kind of the same at this point, but yet the histories are still very different. And so I think you're still feeling the ramifications of the that history. And that beef that started a long time ago, you know, so it's always going to be there. I think it's kind of dope. The chirping's sick. Um, I think that in this day and age, you know, I think snowboarders have respect for the skiers. Skiers have respect for the snowboarders. Of course, you're going to have like outliers on either end of the spectrum, but like that's just any any culture in general. Um, but I guess that's kind of my take on it. It's like when know. I was young, I fully. I mean, first I remember we had to get we had to get certified to be allowed to go on the resort and you're probably right that's where it stems from mm. and then when we catch I mean, a, stuff that we dude. would catch a skier <laughs> in the pipe everybody would freak out yeah so i dude. could imagine how your dad had to go up there and do that mm -hmm. but yeah now it's, it's kind of morphed into a, a different thing i guess yeah. when, when we had tanner on the show we definitely had a couple people dm us that were furious mm -hmm. that we had skiers on but most people were really cool fuck them though they don't yeah. they clicked on our shit but then they watched the episode <laughs> and they were hyped you know like oh yeah. this guy's actually cool you know yeah, yeah. very interesting dude i mean we have different cultures right like the birth of free skiing that was like kind of the dudes getting out of the aerials and away from racing and this like it was like free ride skiing it was like charging alaska full noise down these spines it was like dropping crazy cliffs going super fast like that is the culture of free skiing that that's our thing and like park and pipe like i'm sorry to any skiers out there but like park and pipe is a snowboard culture and as park and pipe skiers, we're basically like sitting inside that culture. And now it's morphed into one and it's like, oh, cool. And we're all riding and it's sweet. But like, you have to remember this, that type of riding on the mountain was originated by snowboarders. But our culture originated from like hardcore mountain shredding. And like, you know, then you have guys like T Rice, who's like, you watch him ride spines and it's like, he's riding spines just as good as any of like those top skiers are. Um, but I think it's like, yeah, we each have our own history from where our culture comes from. And I think you just got to be aware of it to like understand that like 
that's why there's something in the air. You, you know, don't get too crazy about it, but like it's there. It's, it's more playful, right? Well, it's yeah, fun. It, it depends on who it is. Some yeah, people, right. it, it's a fun topic, and and especially you know one topic that comes up a lot here in Utah. You have Alta and Deer Valley, and they still don't allow uh, snowboarders. Which you know, in the world of everything being inclusive, it's like inclusivity or you're canceled. Like I'm kind of like. Fucking yeah, respect. Yeah, like, yeah, like, true. Huh? Holy, you guys don't give a shit. Like, yeah, like, they're guns. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up, though. Like, yeah, you're still, all right, fucking get some. But, you know, it's an interesting comparison. Like, I go up there, and I hate those fucking fitness nerds, man. Because the way the way Alta is, is there's, there's like, Alta ski area, and right next to it is, like, Flagstaff and Grizzly Gulch, which is a touring area where you go up, and you'll see a lot of people that are, you know, like, that place has been, like, kind of, originally was occupied mainly by skiers who are into touring. And these fuckers are, like, so morally superior to you, and they're just, like, look, they're just so morally superior, and they just vibe you out and say dumb shit, and they're just fucking nerds. That's how I feel, right? But the interesting thing is that that's me being out of my element. Mm -hmm. And if I want to be, like, real deep-dive psychology, if these, these fucking dudes came through the park... Probably not me now, but me when I was in my early 20s, I'd probably vibe these fuckers out. For so sure. it's, it, it's kind of a funny deal. I'm getting vibed out because I'm out of my element. Yeah. And now, um, I don't know. But anyway, what do you think about that? I mean, dude, it, it feels good to be a part of a, like, a movement. It feels good to be a part of a group. And I think like whatever anyone does in the world, like whatever you do, you think is the raddest thing. Otherwise, like... Why would you be doing it, right? Yeah, well, what we're doing is the raddest. So. Yeah, it's totally. So, like, <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Though? Yeah. So, like, th those dudes up there that are up there to like get fit, running up hills on their skis and then ski down. It's like that's their subculture. They think it's the raddest. They've got different gear than us. They're hyped. I mean, we they still trip at us for our like baggy ski pants. You know what I mean? Um, and then it's like you're in the park and the snowboard. It's like that's that's your culture. That's your thing. This is my people. If you're not a part of it, like. You're not a part of it. It's like the same thing through all kind of different cultures. I feel like, you know, while we're while we're on this, I'm and I'm not, I'm going to be a bit more of a hater because I got I got another fucking mm -hmm. bone to pick with some shit. <laughs> when you're up there with all these granola bladers that are fucking morally superior because they tour and they don't ride the resort, they all tend to a lot of them tend to have these sprinter vans. And they got all this shit bolted onto them. They got like a mountain die cut along the side or it says mountains, please. <laughs> these fucking goddamn sprinter van people, man. If, if I get a, I, the thing is, I, I love the van, but I hate the people that drive them. I've been thinking about getting, getting a sprinter van, keeping the stock wheels and just putting like Jim's plumbing on the side. <laughs> <laughs> just so they're like, damn, okay, this guy's a contractor out here. <laughs> No fucking influencer die cuts on that shit. But that's a whole different subject. We don't need to go down this rabbit hole. They do hole. all have a giant mountain on the side. Huh? <laughs> I always think it's like a shop or something, but it's actually just some dudes. Fucking guys with their stupid sticker. mountains on the side of their stupid sprinter van. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Too good. What else? What else on the subject of ski culture? Well, another thing about ski culture versus snowboard culture, too, while we're on it, mm. is that you have, like, okay, snowboarding comes from a lot of it. I, let's just, let me back it up a second because there's cool people in snowboarding, there's shitty people in snowboarding. There's cool people in skiing, there's shitty people in skiing. But the one thing I've realized, like with you see in skiing, maybe a little bit more than snowboarding is that there's people that 
it almost feels a little bit more like a country club vibe. Like they're they're condescending towards snowboarders, and it's kind of like they're and you forget that shit still exists. So those those guys, and then you have people like Jossie and Tanner Hall who are the shit. So there's both sides of the spectrum. But I think sometimes in skiing, the only thing you see differently than snowboarding is a little bit more of that country club vibe. Sometimes I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's not a cheap sport to do, you know, and skiing's been along for a very long time and it's something that you have to have money to go do obviously so i think that that culture has been a part of skiing for for millennia or decades you know so i mean you see it i mean i don't see it very often because i'm either like in the park or in the backcountry on my sled um but i mean i've been up in park city for the week and like the amount of teslas and like new electric porsche panameras and stuff i'm seeing i'm like where am i dude this is park city loose man like yeah. i don't know i don't see that very often i've been like i'm out in like small ass towns like filling up gas and going out on a sled like super redneck type towns like i don't know I, I just i don't really see that too too much i mean unless you go to x games and that that's kind of just like the wild one right you like go and ride and then you're walking down the street it's like louis gucci prada like Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, Park <laughs> City is a little like that. Dude, I see yeah. Teslas all over Salt Lake now. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, they don't actually uh, take any petrol. So, you know I what still that see him at the seven. <laughs> I'm trying to test his New Zealand <laughs> yeah, slang. That's, that's the shit he. Right, I'm going to test your New Zealand slang. What's a chili bin? A chili bin is a cooler. What are jandals? Like uh, flip flops. What do you call them? Flip flops? Yeah. What are togs? Swimsuit. What's scroggin? It's like granola, trail mix. What's munted? Getting smoked. What's a chook? A chook? C-H-O-O-K. A chook. A chook. It's a chicken. What's T-A? Ta. Ta? Thanks. What's a dunny? Toilet. What are the wop wops? The boonies. This guy's good. He's fucking, he could be the best. He could be the best. <laughs> what is, what is, the best to ever be from New Zealand. <laughs> What is what is Ace Ventura? He's like, he's good. With my help, he could be the best. <laughs> okay, we got some more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaffa, J-A-F-A. A Jaffa? Okay, so there's two menus for a Jaffa. One, it's like a chocolate candy covered. It's like a like a big M&M that's like orange chocolate flavor. They're called Jaffas. But within New Zealand, if you call someone a Jaffa, it stands for just another... Something Aucklander. You can swear on the show. It'd be fucking Aucklander. <laughs> um, okay. A big one on the Terps. It's a big, big night on the booze. Okay. B-A-C-H. A Bach. Bach. B-A-C-H. Oh, we might have stumped them. We might have stumped them. B-A-C-H. A Bach. You want me to use it in a... Um, yeah, use it in a, in a sentence for me. It's actually pronounced batch. B-A-T. Oh, batch. Yeah. <laughs> a, a batch is like a like a cabin. It's like easy. a beach cabin. We didn't. We He got it. That's right. Okay. Um, what if I was? I'd be pretty ashamed if I didn't get it. What <laughs> if I was to call somebody a muppet? A muppet? It's like an idiot. He's real good. Dude. What about she's such a dag? A dag? Well, see, do you know what a dag is? Nope. So a dag is uh, when sheep excrete, and it starts like building up on their fur, like a dingleberry. Oh, like a you're saying it has diarrhea. No, it's just shit. Like, oh, when it sticks dunk. to yeah. the fur. Yeah. Oh, so okay. it sticks to the fur. It's like dingleberries, You can right? excrete a lot of different things out of your body. You need to be specific about oh, the excretion. Yeah. <laughs> true. <laughs> true. Very my bad. true. My bad. Um, yeah, it's basically like a, a sheep's dingleberry is a dag. Okay. So my, like another term will be like rattle your dags. is like hurry up. 
That's actually the next phrase. Uh, rattle your dags means yeah. hurry up. And literally says that. Rattle your dags. Okay, what does so. rark rark up mean? Rock up. It's giving someone like a like a rattling them up. You know, like what would you call it? Okay, um, rattle. Uh, like a rock up is like a telling off. Telling off. Yeah. Yonks. A long time. Okay, I think that's pretty much it. Um, good. The rest are pretty. I mean, crikey, this is kind of like corny. That's just it's kind of Aussie though. It's not yeah. really New is Zealand. It? Yeah, fuck crikey. That's not a New Zealand yeah. term. No, well, I mean, it's just kind of like a classic Aussie one. Classic crikey. So, well, <laughs> let's jump back into ski talk because for those listeners, viewers, a lot of our audience is snowboarders. They mm-hmm. don't know you're like child prodigy kid from New Zealand. You and your four brothers, all pro skiers, most. A lot of Olympians. How all many? of us. All everyone's an Olympian. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, going back, I heard a really cool story about how you had to pay your way to go to a contest, but you're injured. Can you tell that story? Where you had to go down the half pipe. Oh bite, but yeah, you, yeah, yeah. But yeah. just to basically earn the money for the trip. Yeah. Word. Um, so early days coming over here. Um, you know, parents didn't grow up with heaps or have heaps, so. Um, like my first flight to come over and ski, I paid for from, from busking my violin at the supermarket. Bought my plane flight, come rip. Um, You're what playing a violin at a supermarket? Yeah, playing a violin at the supermarket, busking. It's pretty dope. But, but like that's busking. Uh, yeah, like you're playing mu- music for money. Yeah. Okay. Glorified begging, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we were over here. Pro- this might be third, fourth year coming over here for the season. Um, Dad was with us. And got invited to go ski at the ski tour event um, up in Sun Valley. It was like this big tour they did for a few years. Um, it was like heaps of prize money at this event, half pipe event only. Um, and went to this event, the first one that they had. And I had like pretty bad knees at this point. It's like right when I first started dealing with tendinopathy, um, kind of nicknamed Jumper's Knee. And, uh, we're at the contest, qualify through to finals. There's like 10 people in finals. And we find out that top 10, like the 8th and 10th place gets 750 bucks. And me and my homie, Colby West, were like, dude, we're guaranteed 750 bucks today. This is mental. Like, yes. And so I was super hyped for that. Then we, we got there finals night. I was practicing, landed super low on one hit. And my knee just like flared up super crazy. I couldn't stand on it. I was, like, in excruciating pain. <clears throat> so Dad ended up, like, carrying me to the snowmobile, put me on the snowmobile, got, got taken to the top. He came up after me, lifted me off the snowmobile, put me in the tent, and I'm just sitting there super bummed. Like, I was skiing pretty well, and I was just like, man, like, this is so lame. Dad and I were talking. I was like, all right, Dad, all I've got to do is, like, I'll just put all my weight on one ski, and I'll just ski down the middle of the pipe, and I'm guaranteed 750 bucks, and I can pay for our trip up here from Park City. And we're like, all right, cool. Like, that's all good. Dope. We paid for the trip. And uh, so we're going to do that. Get to my skis. Dad, like, dad has to clip me into my skis, like lifting the tail, pe- tail piece up to get me in because I can't put any weight through my heel. Um, so he clips me into my skis. I'm, like, standing at the top, super kind of, like, bummed. It's nighttime. You know, it's this huge event. I'm just like, damn, like, not feeling that good. So I'm standing there. Dad's like, cool. Sweet, he goes to the bottom, and then I'm in the start gate. Starter goes, all right, Josh, you good to go, and gives me the knucks. As soon as he knucks me, I, like, look down the pipe, and it's just, like, lined with people. It's nighttime. It's, like, all on. And I'm just in my head. I'm like, as if I'm going to do a straight line down the middle of the pipe. 
And at that moment, I was like, no, nah, I'm sending it. And I just dropped in. Somehow, like, blanked out. Didn't didn't feel the knee. It was, like, full flow state style. Dropped in. Did, like, the best pipe run of my life. I got third. I think I won, like, seven and a half grand or something crazy. Dad's at the bottom, like, crying. I'm, like, freaking out. And, like, I get to the bottom and I fall over. Like, I can't, can't stand up after it, you know. But, um, yeah, I went from, like, 750 bucks, super gas, to, like, no, I'm going to do a run anyway in the moment and did it and got that cheddar bisque, son. Yeah, nice. you got that bisque. <laughs> That's crazy. That's big bisque. Yeah, it was loose. And that 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 win there, or that, that like podium there pretty much paid for our whole uh, like three-month trip over here. So it was like, cool. And that was kind of after that was like the green light to, oh, I can do this. Like, let's go. You couldn't even cool. step into your skis yourself, nah, though. No, nah, it was it was crazy. I think that's a fascinating moment, too, that talking about that green light where you're like, okay, let's do this. Like, there's definitely a point in most people's career where you're like, when you're a kid and you're coming up, you're like, I think I can do this. I think I, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm maybe I'm sponsored. And then that one thing that happens, it's just like, okay, like, I got a seat at the table or I can do mm-hmm. this. Or, you know, you it probably, that must have given you a shitload of confidence to be like, all right, I'm, I'm all in or something. Yeah, totally. That was like my first podium at like a major event over here in the u.s against like all the best in the world um and once you get that one you're like oh like i can do this and it's literally just like getting a green light and from that moment you're just like all right let's go like it's on baby and you i think that's really cool that you come from a family that doesn't didn't have a ton of money and which is very uncommon in skiing and snowboarding and it's almost like you hear i hear these stories in motocross like they put their they they put their whole house on the line, and mm-hmm. it's but really like that. You're skiing, you winning that money paid for your family's trip. That's just fucking awesome, you know. People love. I love hearing about that type of stuff. Yeah, it was cool, man. I mean, such huge sacrifices for my parents for me and my brother skiing. You know, like from spending six months of the year apart because dad was traveling with us and mum was at home holding the fort down. Like that alone's mental. And then to like have them sacrificing other things so that they could like help pay for us to pursue this thing. And I was, I was super fortunate that from a pretty young age, by the time I was like 15, I had good support from, you know, some of the sponsors over here started getting some like travel budget and stuff to help out with that. And then by the time I was 16, it was like, cool, the career's kicking off and now like, you know, can help pay the way. And it's all like working. It's pretty sweet. Let's get into our breakout moment presented by our friends over at Ten Barrel and Pub Beer. Pub Beer supports us. You should support them. Their tagline is cheap, fun, beer. Now, before skiing and snowboarding became a big, serious career, back when it was cheap and fun, do you have a memorable breakout moment? Memorable breakout moment. Um, For me, it was probably, I was 16, uh, over in France at La Clouseur for Candide Thovax's Invitational. And he invited me to come out, and it was, like, massive for me. I'd wa- you know, grown up watching Candide, and, and uh, he invited me to come out for his Invitational. Super hyped, went out there, and they had this huge, like, 130-foot step-down jump. I don't know if you've ever seen that jump that he used to build there, just huge, and he used to have rails, channels and stuff going underneath it, and it was just this massive, huge, huge jump. And I was there in the morning and I was like scoping this jump from the lift and it was just like bigger than anything I'd seen. But I just had this like moment of clarity where I was like, yo, this jump is no different than any other jump I've hit before. 
I've just got to go faster and I'll clear it and land. You take off on the takeoff and you're landing on the landing. It's it's all good. So as long as I go fast enough, like that'd be cool. So we're sessioning other jumps during the day and then like some crew go over and start hitting this big jump. And so I rolled over there and I was like, I mean, I'm not big now, but when I was 16, I was like super tiny. So I saw where some of the dudes were starting from and I just went up the maybe like another 200 feet, something, and just started hitting this jump and it was like, the sickest feeling I'd ever felt like flying through the air when those jumps are so big you start feeling like the air pushing your body in ways that like you've never really felt and like catching your skis as you're spinning and stuff like it's huge jumps it's its own like subset like no it's nothing like anything else that you do on skis really um but I started hitting this jump and after like two or three hits I was like all right I've done a five and a nine and well I've, next trick I guess will be like a switch five because you know and then and no one had hit the jump switch yet but in my head I was like well I've done those tricks like I want to do a switch five didn't think much of it so I hit the jump switch and did a cab five and then a cab seven the next time um and after that session that's when like people were coming up to me like oh I can't believe you hitting that jump switch first like blah 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 and like there was kind of started video buzz and people were like give me props and stuff and it's like all the dudes that I'd grown up watching and then like just getting to know and you know random people and whatnot coming up after that session and like giving me props and I was like that's when I was like oh cool like all right yeah you're this, 16, this, this right? is my spot now like let's go <laughs> like all right I, and that I, was I, I can do this you age know? 16 yeah yeah so incredible that's incredible and going back to what you're talking about there being at the top of the jump one thing that I find fascinating is that, like, <clears throat> maybe some people might look at you and say, hey, like, oh, he's different than me. He's really good. He's got something special, whatever. But I, I believe a lot of that stuff to be, you, you know, people like yourself that have won X Games medals and pipe and slope style and everything else. It's, like, more about consistently making yourself get outside your comfort zone. Like, for example, like, a lot of times when you're on top of that jump, who knows, maybe you're excited to hit it, but... You know, a lot of times if you're going to do something that's really scary and it's right on the edge of your ability level, you're essentially forcing yourself to do something uncomfortable, right? That That's what it is. That's what that's what the skill set is. And and if you make, it seems like over time you, you make it a habit of making yourself uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Would you, you know, can you elaborate on that or do you relate to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, at that, that stage I was 16 and being... I th- you're probably pretty naive at 16 about what can what can happen and go wrong, <laughs> like hitting something <laughs> that big. These days I'm like, all right, I've got to calculate this real well. <laughs> totally. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think being a kid that was into action sports and whether it was skating or snowboarding or skiing or, you know, whatever I was doing growing up is like you get so used to being uncomfortable because that's the only way to progress. And when your desire to progress, like, outweighs that feeling of being uncomfortable that's when like you just continue to progress um and i think like when you're when you're so wrapped up in it when you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable position like so often time after time every single day you just get so comfortable being uncomfortable and the more time you spend in that place where you're like you've got the nerves in your stomach and you're like okay like this is pretty intense when you just do that all the time it just becomes like second nature Mm -hmm. like when 
when you're on a on the competition circuit and you're literally going to comps every other week and you're doing your hardest tricks those tricks just become like mundane and, and what you do because you you're so used to putting yourself in that type of environment and then you get hurt and you spend time away and then you come back and like doing those tricks again is like full noise you know and it's not until you get that repetition going again that you start to get comfortable and it's literally like anything in life you know Repetitions of father learning, and the more time that you spend being uncomfortable, the more comfortable you're going to get in it. Um, and that's something that, as I've gotten older and I've been through a string of injuries, and you know, coming back and trying to like bring out the best in myself, and learning to be like comfortable in that uncomfortable position again, I think gets a lot harder as you get older, mm-hmm. and there's a lot more at stake, and like the hits hurt way more, and you you start thinking about injury a lot more as you get older and like wanting to preserve the body. Um, And yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out. I still get scared as at the top of stuff. Um, But the more time that I spend on skis, um, the more comfortable I get and I'm able to perform. Um, But it's just like this constant cycle. I mean, even having time off in between the winters, you know, come back and it's like, you got to warm up into it again. Um, When you were uh, more of an NZ Loke, where'd you do, so their winter, your guys' winter is our summer and vice versa. So were you doing winter year-round? Yeah, dude, I was doing back-to-back winters from the age of 13. And, like, still to this day I'm doing back-to-back winters. There's, like, some kind of summers I've had in between from, like, injuries where I've been home, but, like, I haven't had an uninjured summer since I was 12. Um, So literally just back-to-back. That's just back. so much time on yeah, the skis and board. Yeah. And one thing going back to what you're talking about there, when I'm at the top of the jumps, like, you know, for example, if I'm doing a trick that I'm scared, or what I've noticed is that <clears throat> let's just take, for example, like a, let's say a 900. That's at the top of your ability level. You haven't done one or you haven't done one in a few years or whatever it is. And you're like, maybe I should do it on the bottom jump. Maybe I, uh, and the bottom jump's big or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the moment that you are like, okay, I'm going to try that. I'm usually not scared. Once I'm like, once I actually drop in to try the trick, whatever it is, I'm not scared. But that indecision or that should I hit it? Should I try a 1080? Should, but once you're like, if like when, that's why I feel like when you have somebody like yourself or Sage and you know, there are people that are laser focused or they're just like, I'm going to this jump and I'm doing a 1080. And it's like, oh, okay, that's easy. But if you're like, ah, oh, maybe I'll do one. That indecision is almost more torturous than committing to doing shit. Yeah, I mean, it's a <laughs> in our culture, it's like, you know, you're supposed to be like tough. And like, anytime you do a trick, you land it like you never tried to do it. And it's like, you know, this kind of vibe. But like, dude, like, when I'm in the backcountry now at the top of a jump or the tops of lines, like, I'm shook 100%. And what I had, what's been helping me a lot is just like reminding myself, like, yo, you can do this. Your body can do this. You've put in so much time on skis. Like, basically, stop thinking about it just commit and, and trust your abilities um, because that's the hard thing in the backcountry too because it's so much more unpredictable like at least in the park you can hit the jump a few times and then you're like oh, I'm going to do this and it's like kind of chill in the backcountry it's like I just built this jump I don't know where to start from I don't even know if the angles are going to match up for this what could happen yeah it's powder but like it still sucks tomahawking and you can get smoked out there you know so like there's so many factors when it comes to the backcountry that like I'm now having to deal with so much more than I never really used to. And so I'm fully shook and I'm fully like having these like 
all the sports psychology stuff that I've been taught over the years of competing, like I'm harnessing all of those skills that I've been taught and I'm trying to apply it into this new realm that I'm, you know, doing. So, yeah, dude, I fully get shook, like 100%. <laughs> but, you know, it's sick when you when you just go, all right, cool. Like I'm doing this trick, I'm dropping in now, and it's on, you drop in and like you just switch out again. Mm-hmm. And then you stomp and it's like, yeah, dude. I need to trust myself more. Yep. Like I know I can do this. Come on. And every time that happens and you and you have a success, then it just builds the confidence. And then it's like, all right, it's like end of March and there's no more power. And you're like, oh man, like, you know, if you had a whole winter of just like or a whole a whole year of power back to back, like I mean, it would go for every any rider out there. Like you'd have some crazy segments because, you know, especially with having good snow, there's only, you know, two, three months that it's kind of popping. And uh, and just by the time of the end of the season, you're feeling so confident riding that you just like feel like you could do anything. Um, but it's like this whole cycle over and over of just like trying to get used to it again. Totally, yeah. You you grew up doing contests your whole life, so you got really good. We've been in, you know, me and Buds are more in the video segment, video part world for so long. And that psychology of the video part is is an interesting one to talk about because remember after many years of filming parts. I would go out, I'd be too excited in my younger years and be like, I'm going to fucking do the craziest trick right out of the gate. And maybe my first three tricks I tried, I would just die. And it would fucking destroy my confidence. So as the years went on, I would actually structure, all right, I know I can go out and I can get that. Boom, I got that, got me a little confidence. And I'd be like, second trick, I know that's within my reach. I'm going to get that, boom. And you build and you build. And then, like you said earlier, if you can build your your tricks in the right order, like you don't start with the front 12 double if you don't, you know, and maybe that's your warm up trick, but if like, you're not sage. if you're, yeah, if you're not sage, <laughs> like you start with the front threes, then work your way up. But like, uh, you got to like kind of stay in that window of confidence. And then back to what you were saying too, being a street rail rider as a snowboarder, I would always tell myself when I was going to front board, like a big kink rail or something, I'd always tell myself, like, you're crafty. You'll figure it out. Like you, like I know how to squirm my way out. If I get in, mm-hmm. I've been here before. Like just, just put it up, and you know what to do. But yeah. learning, learning to trust your ability levels is definitely a huge thing that comes with time on the board, time on the skis. Yeah, I mean, there's this one uh, sports psychology book that I was reading. It's one of the things that they say is like the body works perfectly, the mind gets in the way, and that's like so true for what we do. You know, it's like with the hours of preparation that we've put into this, the amount of time we've spent writing. You know, we've basically taught our bodies the muscle memory just to be able to like either do it perfectly or if something's going wrong, being able to like get ourselves out of that situation. And when you start overthinking stuff and getting your mind in it and you start thinking like, oh, I've got to get my tail over that rail and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like chances are your tail's going to smash the rail, you know? Like you, I mean, at least for me, a lot of the time I just have to like trust in my ability and like blank it out and just, Hollowhead. Let it rip. Hollowhead, baby. We talk hollowhead on the podcast. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like you go hollowhead a lot. Big time. So, Big time. move. So the when you mentioned that book, we always have, whenever we talk yeah. about a book, we have all the listeners like, dude, what, what sports psychology book particularly? Do you know the name? I'll have to call my dad. Okay. Phone a friend? Yeah, yeah we'll do it. <laughs> uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Phone a friend. <laughs> well, if we get it, we'll put it in the show notes because uh, our yeah, audience. People will the be Mental asking. Edge. It's called The Mental Edge. Mental I don't edge. know who it's by, but yeah. Good we'll, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Yep. Mental edge. Uh, one thing too, these guys talking about filming backcountry video parts. You know, for the small percentage of people listening that snowmobile, um, you know, we as snowboarders, we get to wear our snowboard boots. Mm. These fuckers have ski boots. That's got to be harsh, dude. It is literally the harshest thing. 
So sledding and ski boots is miserable. You got no surprised ankle you don't flex, switch it out or something. No, that's what we do, oh, dude. You do. So we like ride out in snowboard boots with ski boots and a bag on the back of the sled, and then you're out in the zone and switch the boots. Like, dude, putting on frozen, frozen, frozen plastic <laughs> ski boots out in the backcountry, getting powder all in it, like. When it's negative 20 is not the go. It's got to be so harsh. <laughs> it sucks, man. It's just too miserable. You can't even ride out with yeah. them on. No, nah, it's brutal, man. If, if it's like a mad chill ride out to the zone, then, then, maybe. then we'll ride ski boots. But if you're trying to like maneuver a snowmobile, like... Also, I'm just like not... I'm pretty new to sledding, only a few years deep. So I'm like, I'm getting the hang of it. But yeah. like, if I'm in ski boots, I'm definitely riding a lot worse. Yeah, you're all stiff and yeah, not totally. jumping around properly. I need all the help I can get. I did not know that. Yeah. That means skiers are buying these back mountain backcountry skiers are buying snowboard boots too, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's tight. Uh one thing I was realizing, I went skiing the other day for the first time since <laughs> one thing I was realizing. <laughs> Dude, no, so we're talking about ski boots, okay? <laughs> I haven't put on ski boots since I was five. True. Them shits are clunky, clunky. as fuck, dude. I don't know how you guys even walk in those things. I couldn't even walk up the hill. I was post hole at every single step. It didn't fit my snowshoes. Like, dude, these things, like... Do they this- make a special snowshoe? Uh, no, I just run verts on mine. Verts. Yeah, this fit. dude's just got huge feet, so his boots uh. don't fit in the verts, but mine fit all good. You fit right in verts. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, the verts go hard. Uh, Jossie and I have been talking quite a bit about, um, you know snowboarding and skiing and i was saying you know basically that i think i could backflip skis um so i i think this shit's easy i used to ski when i was five years old haven't done it in uh however many years that is and um i was like jossie i bet i can backflip skis and he had never backflipped a snowboard so we didn't make like an official bet but uh Jossie tracked down some skis for me. Whoever got those for me, give me an air horn. Mm. And uh, we went up, and dude, I'll tell you what, buds, you got I me. Mean, you guys were all there. I couldn't go down the fucking hill. It was awesome, <laughs> dude. Fun I can't turn. I couldn't turn those shits. <laughs> I couldn't even do the the snowplow or whatever the flying V. Yeah, the pizza, the pizza. And so I was like, all right. So the first turn I tried to make, which uh, we'll insert the video, I I side hilled over, and then I tried to make a turn. What happened? Well, you face planted and you weren't actually like really even moving. <laughs> yeah, it looked like you just got sucked into the ground, basically. I couldn't, fi- I couldn't figure these clunky shits out. One of those snow snakes grabbed you, eh? Dude, yeah. So, <laughs> bit by a snow snake. We, we tried to build this one jump. I'm like, there's no way I can even make it to the jump. So, my logic was like, if we can go straight and if I can make it to the jump, I can do a fucking backflip. But after I tried to go down the hill, I was like, I don't think this shit is. I don't I, think this shit is. I know, happening. dude. When you first like. Rode down the side there. I was like, oh, this might not happen. This is going to go down. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we ended up building this jump. And uh, I'm going to play the clip right here. So, I wore, for the people that are listening that aren't watching, I was wearing uh, my blue jeans, my Patriots starter jacket. And uh, I just wanted to look like, you know, straight out of Wachusett Mountain in New England. That's that's kind of the kit. You just, Mm -hmm. you see those guys rocking. Maybe they're like chugging some Jack Daniels in the parking lot. So, I wanted to look like a true New England. Jerry, for lack of a better term. And then uh, here we go. Here's the clip of the backflip. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo. As you can see, I didn't know how to fucking turn. I didn't know how to turn. Like, 
once I landed. And his so face I just had to... coming in, he looked terrified <laughs> until he got to the jump. Then he did pretty good. M- mind you, we'll have to drop in the clip. <laughs> yeah. the, the attempt before, there was one where I was like, all right, I'm going to. I'm Wait, gonna, do you have his back? Yeah, I do. Or? I'm going to pull it up in a second. But the clip before, I was like trying to do a straight air, but it was a backflip jump. So coming in, <laughs> do you remember that clip? <laughs> You're like yelling from halfway down the in run already. <laughs> well, I was coming into it, and in my head, I'm like, I'm doing a straight air, but I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going way too fast. But I don't know how to turn. <laughs> so you can stop. <laughs> or I don't know how to stop. So I was like and railroad track. either side of the jump, Dude, too. I'm railroad tracking towards this thing. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, straight air, straight air. But it's too steep. So I basically went off, and like as I'm like halfway in the air, I committed to a backflip, so I landed directly on my head. Well, That was we'll a insert, great clip, too. We'll insert the clip. And then um, so Jossie, he goes up, and he's, his first attempt at a backflip went – had an interesting turn here. <laughs> he took it a little right and uh, smoked Rigo. Shouts to Rigo for being a... Yeah, Shout almost took his hand off. Sorry, G. <laughs> and that then, was brutal. And Luckily, then, he was okay, though. Yeah, I know, dude. <laughs> like, like hands been, were bleeding. I was so bad. shook. I was like, oh, dude. You look damn good, though. Yeah, his, Thanks, was, his was a much easier experience. Stylish. Yes, sir. Oh, sorry about my. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, that was it. The the backies, the yep. backy. Dude, debacle. you did it. And I want to let any skiers know that if they're listening to this, if you're a skier and you can't backflip, I am better than you at skiing. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> Do you agree, Joss? Big facts. <laughs> Big facts. That shit's easy, dude. Huge facts. <laughs> Honestly, though, I would like to try to see if I can go down the hill at one point. Actually, do the. I think on groomers, it'd be. Yeah, groomer easier. might help you I out. I mean, a little dude, bit. that snow was so sketch. Remember trying to ride down? That was crazy. Yeah, just riding it's down like was. Fully frozen, like crust crushed. Slush. It was horrible. I feel like skiing's more dang- dangerous. You got all your limbs are like. Mm-hmm. A lot of edges, Your too. shit can mm-hmm. bend in all different types of directions. A lot going on. Your legs can get weird. You're kind of locked into the fucking. To the snowboard. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not moving on the, on the snowboard. Yeah. You know what's nice, though? We brought it up a million times, though. The poles. Mm. Pointing at things. Poles are I mean, great. Dude, did you feel like you got in the zone with the pole clink? <laughs> oh, the, yeah. We did the pole clink. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, they are good for balance. Mm-hmm. I think the poles help, help me stay up, you know, after. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And poles in the pipe are still, I can't decide if that's the right way to go or not. Mm. I mean, it's kind of a personal preference. I've kind of gone back and forth. Really? You mix it up. I've, like, skied a bit without poles. I'm kind of in, like, a... Skiing's done with poles phase right now. So, so you, right I'm, now you're doing. I'm it using poles for every everything. Day. Yeah, um, I like the. Way I don't the know. Poles look. It'll, it'll, it might come around again where I, I'm down. I think like skiing without poles can look really good, but it can also look really bad. And so there's like particular skiers that I'm down with that ski without poles, but I think majority I'm not super keen. What about but that's poles, just What about poles in the streets? Poles in the streets. I mean. I think a lot of the dudes right now are not using poles in the probably, streets. Yeah, it's probably a little more chill. Also, what I was wondering too is there, like on a snowboard, there's no grab zones. Like you mm. can't grab Tindy or Newt or Tailfish. Like kind of there's these areas that are, it's yeah. an absolute no fly. Is there no fly ski grab zones or is every just grab wherever? Uh, Choose your own adventure. Kind of, question right kind of similar, like a Tindy, like behind your binding, but not on the end of your tail. That's a no fly zone. That's a no fly zone. Really? In my book. 
on the outside it's tindy, on the inside it's called toxic. And I'm not down. But other people think it's okay? I mean, some people might. Capple with, like, get it on the end or just don't do it at all. The, when you that's get, my opinion. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the look. Uh, what about the early, mm-hmm. i seen some skiers going off where they do the grab before the, the takeoff on the lip. Is that tight or is that kind of? Pre-grab. Pre-grab. I've never done that. So that's, yeah, you just kind of gave us your answer on that. If it was tight, you probably would have done it. That's a polite way of saying that shit's <laughs> whack. <laughs> People from New Zealand are so nice. <laughs> I got a Patreon question for you. All right. Um, this is from Magic Narwhal. He says, can't remember what comp it was, but you did a slope style run, all hits, zero spins. What was the reason? Was that a big fuck you to the establishment? Either way, best ski or slope style run I've ever seen. My man. Thank you, brother. Uh, That happened to be in the Olympic Games. And um, I wish I could say that it was like me trying to be super rad. But the truth is I dropped in, blew my first rail super bad. And as soon as I blew that, I was like, well, chances of doing anything here are pointless. And then it was instantly like, oh, yo, I got to do a zero spin, zero spin run for the people. It was nice. the first time that skiing, free skiing was like on the Olympic stage. And it's like, was, you know, turning into what it's kind of become. And I don't know, it was like a split second decision that I just was like, I got to represent for the core of our sport here. And, you know, I mean, I didn't really think about it at the time. It was just like a natural reaction. Like, that's my default. You yeah, know? it was like a reset almost. Yeah, it was like, boom, all right, I'm going to do a full run of zeros at the Olympics for that's everyone some, out there. For that's the culture respect. shit. I got some mad hate for that, though. Really? New Zealand media went nuts. Like The media? Yeah, the tell, news. talking like I gave up and like blah, blah, blah. And this chick like... They didn't think it was cool. This chick wrote all this crazy stuff about me in the in the newspaper and like the New Zealand team. And then the ski community like saw this found out about it and just went ham on her she was getting all kinds of threats and it was like she wrote up a rebuttal about the ski community and how they were like going nuts at her it was pretty crazy that's kind of cool she sounds yeah. fucking whack yeah, she sounds up. pretty whack yeah super whack well let's talk about how the ski uh competition scenes changed because back in the day early tw- we'll call it early twin tips i like saying twin tip we don't get to say it much in the snowboard podcast but uh early twin tip days <laughs> You guys are like, it's pretty chill. It's like UT Hall, the boys are going out, and then all of a sudden the Olympics comes in and they got all these fucking nerd coaches, right? Mm, yeah, it's definitely a big switch, dude. Like, I I was fortunate enough that I like tagged along kind of the end of those like glory days, I guess, when like Tanner was still competing, Simon, TJ, Peter. It was like, you know. The kind of all the guys that I'd grown up watching, I got to become friends with them and travel with them and and do those last few competition years. Um, before some of them started to kind of phase out of the contest, and then it became an Olympic sport. And like before that, dude, it was like a it was a straight up road trip with the boys for like three months, and we'd just be going comp to comp to comp all over the world. And like when everyone's your homie there's always something to celebrate because someone's winning and some like, you know, three of the homies are getting on the podium. So like every single contest, it's a celebration, whether you're on it or not. It's like, it was just this freaking road show with all the boys that just went so hard. And that was like what I, that's what I fell in love with. It was like this sport rules. Like, yes, 
we're athletes and we're like going hard out there and progressing ourselves and this is rare we're at competitions like switching into comp mode going hard but at the same time dude we're all friends and we're traveling the world together this is like the craziest lifestyle and so that's what i fell in love with and then all of a sudden it became an olympic sport and then these national teams started forming in all the different countries and you know i started having these people that weren't skiers like coming in and like telling me how to be successful and i was like you know late teens collecting some x games medals and was like i know what i'm up to kind of <laughs> thing you know like young kid stuff but um i struggled with it a lot in the beginning to have these guys i mean fair enough they had these people from like high performance sport that were coming in and trying to like help cultivate a high performance environment for us to excel in and that's just not what i did well, it was it was you know, it was high performance, but we weren't like we weren't going to the gym like crazy. We weren't watching what we're eating. We weren't having X amount of hours sleep, and it was like all this stuff that's like, of course, athletes have got to do this thing. But like in the beginning, you know, we weren't really athletes, at least in like the traditional sense of the word. And so these national teams formed. I know it was similar for like all the countries. And, you know, these people came in and started trying to like help us get better. Like the, the funny thing is they're just trying to help us get better. They're just trying to like help us bring out the best in ourselves. But when you come from a culture that's pretty like anti all that and it's like not that cool and whatever. And I, I just I had a really hard time kind of adjusting to it over time. You know, I think getting older and and kind of seeing things from a different perspective helped me grasp it but also like going through injuries and realizing like dude if i want to keep skiing and do it at the level that i want to be able to do it at then i have to look after myself and that's just kind of been a process i mean i'm sure you've been through it as well i think every athlete goes through it when you're a kid you can just get away with murder but once you get a little older you got to start taking care of stuff um but yeah the national team thing's funny you went from like all the boys on the road doing everything together to like sitting at lodges at the ski resorts with like all these country teams and you're like seeing all your friends over there like hey dude it's like it got kind of weird man it's definitely an interesting you know there's a there's a blessing and a curse to this olympics because it's like all right it puts it on a broader stage it introduces it to a lot more people it's like if skiing is bigger if snowboarding is bigger that's good for all of us that's good it's, you know and you're seeing it with skateboarding right now too where skateboarding is going to the olympics and I think the draw to free skiing, the draw to snowboarding, the draw to skateboarding, the draw to these things is that counterculture. Is that like, like, oh, my parents don't approve of this, you know, or, or, oh, like this, you know, there is some type of like rebellion aspect that draws you to that. Like, mm -hmm. it, it feels like this cool little thing where the zero spin needs to be appreciated more than the goddamn fucking 1900 or whatever they're up to these days. But what happens when you have the, when you have the coaches and all that is that the coaches come in and then it, it, this is, this is what I see the problem. Like you see it in skating. It's like all of a sudden this, the switch in the parents head goes from, Oh, we don't, we don't want little Timmy skateboarding. That's not okay. Oh wait, skateboarding's in the Olympics. Wait, let's get Timmy everything he needs to become the best skateboarder. Let me film you with a GoPro and I'm fucking run around with my goddamn New Balances on with a GoPro at the park and yell at you to do your tricks just so you can one day go to the Olympics. No, like that that's fucking whack. Like leave Timmy's dad out of the keep Timmy's dad out of the park. Let's fucking keep it a little bit punk. Let's like it's like human optimization's great. I think you need to enhance 
Like at a certain point level, you need coaches and all that stuff to get better, but not at the risk of losing like that, the culture side of it, or maybe, maybe they each balance each other out. You're yin and you're yang. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that we, we have the opinion we do because we grew up in a different era of what these sports are now, you know, and we're like so passionate about these sports. Like it's like, We've, we've based our entire lives around these sports, you know, like skiing is my thing. The ski culture rules, you know, you guys, snowboarding, same thing. And to see it change and become something that it wasn't that, and things things that you fell in love with the sport for being kind of taken out of it, it makes us be like, come on, like this is whack, you know. But I think it's just inevitable, dude. The way that when things get bigger and more popular and more professional, like it's just the route that it goes. And I mean, I think that it is a shame for some aspects of what has kind of happened, but at the same time, man, it, like that still doesn't take away from the street parts, the backcountry parts. It's not. It's not actually taken away from like those sides of the sport. They're still staying, you know, true to what they are. So, I mean, yeah, the comp things interesting it's way different than it used to be and it's just kind of a natural progression um but the national teams as well dude they're like really sick like i had a hard time adjusting in the beginning but then after that man like i had physios that would take care of me anytime i needed it have access to gyms and that have access to like sick training facilities like they'll build dope jumps be these you know these airbags became a thing kind of as i was like fading out um but, you know, they do provide, like, amazing services to these athletes coming through, and it is really sick. And they're just there to try to help everyone get better. Um, and so I did come around kind of in the end, and it was really, really dope to have the backing from the New Zealand team. They were it paying was, you too, right? Uh, not directly. Like, it was if you – they had, like, a pinnacle event every year, and and if you did a certain placings in that event, then you got, like, a – a scholarship that was attached to like those oh, different okay. placings. Like Steph, Steph so, told us yeah, about so that. You, so you could do, you know, you can get a scholarship through it um, to help out if you performed. And the idea with that is like they make one event, you perform there or you don't, and that's to put the pressure on just like the Olympic Games is going to put the pressure on. So they're trying to get their athletes to like get used to that pressure. When you come through, you get rewarded, same as it's going to be at the Olympics. Um, so, uh, you know, they do, there was some like kind of scholarship payment stuff um but it was kind of like on you it wasn't it wasn't just like there but as far as like all the services and stuff um i mean you still have to qualify for the team same as kind of the u.s team style thing so once you're on the team then you have access to all these different services and it's really sick and now i'm not on the team anymore and you know i've got a i don't travel with a physio anymore i'm just like on my roller every night trying to fix myself. <laughs> well, this is a conversation that happens in skiing and snowboarding about in the comp competition side of things. And, you know, you're obviously OG style guy, like switch straight air, zero spin. It's, it, I mean, it's like doing a big ass switch method on a big jump. It's like slap some respect on it. Now in the contrary, you know, you watch big airs and there's a lot of 1800s happening on skis and a snowboard, they're both doing 1800s at the last X Games. And, you know, if you look at aerial skiing, for example, you know, it, I think that those, it died. Like, mm. and I think that in the same thing as snowboarding and skiing is that as these rotations get bigger and bigger, there needs to be some type of, like, parameter to 
to kind of encapsulate style being important. Now, do you have any solutions on that? Man, I could probably get paid heaps if I had a idea behind that. I feel like that's the million dollar question. Like how, how do you, I don't want to say a problem, but how do you kind of like, what do you, how do you deal with this? You know what I mean? Um, you've got to slap some heavy respect on the riders out there doing 1800s. Like True. those guys are wild. And those guys are basically like a lot of them probably don't want to be doing 1800s, but the way the judging system's set up and the way the contests work, it's like, if you want to win, that's what you got to do. And like, fair enough, dude. Like, go and do that. You know, is an eighteen hundred a quad? It's two nine hundred. No, two nine hundred. No. Two nine hundred. Five. Is that five? I don't know. I just think two yeah, nine hundred. Five. Think about doing a nine hundred and then doing another. Doing <laughs> yeah, I think. I, wow. I think with you know the those like modified pipe events that we're <laughs> doing and. Uh, trying to make these courses a little different I think is cool because it kind of pulls a level back a little and you have to like adapt your tricks to these features that are harder and harder to maneuver but at the same time like just because they're harder doesn't make them better like you know it's taken them a long time to get those quarter pipe to landing things figured out yeah um I don't know man I think there was a contest we used to go to back in the day in uh, Zurich called the freestyle CH and their system was you had three jumps one jump had was uh, had to be under 540, 540 or under, was, and it was ba- based on style. And then your next one was whatever you want. And then your third one, you could choose to like redo one of them. And that was a super sick event because you had, you know, all these guys that are doing 1800s, like they can do really sick, sick style of stuff, but they don't get the platform to do it. And so that was a cool event because you got to kind of show off that stuff. Um, and I think that that's... For me, I feel like that's probably a good way to go. Um, have, you know, say X Games Big Air, same kind of format, you know. Like, the, the thing we want to stay clear of is putting regulations on stuff. And because that, that is not what uh, the essence of it's not what, it's what about. we do. It's not what yeah. it's about. It's about no rules, doing it exactly how you want to do it. So you don't want to make rules and parameters of what you can and can't do. But I think the way that you can help it is like, is by the judging because the writers are going to do what the judges want to see because all the writers are there and they want to win, right? So when whatever the judges are going to want to see, they're going to do their best to do that. And if the judging, the judging criteria is switch or you make it so, you know, this run is purely focused on style, this next one is whatever you want it to be, you know, you kind of give these athletes a platform to show off like the two sides of it, you know, the super technical writing and the stylish writing. I mean, I think the hard thing is you kind of are basically, when it comes to writing, uh, com- competition writing, you're trying to mash art and science all into one thing. You know, you have this art form of freedom of expression of the tricks, and then you have the science of like the spin index and the amount of flips and did he grab his skis or not. And then you're trying to like put them in this box and put a number on it. And like pu- putting a score on an art form is like, you can't do it. Yet we have this kind of weird thing where, like, we're trying to do that at each of these competitions, and so you're always going to have discrepancies. You're always going to have people feeling like they got ripped off. You're going to have people that are getting hooked up. And when, whenever you're a contest writer, you've just got to approach it like you got to stay level, bro. Like you have to just take the wins when you get them. And if you feel like you got hooked up, just take it in stride and be cool. 
And if you feel like you got screwed over, be cool. The next time you'll get hooked up. It's like if you're in the game long enough, you'll experience enough good scores and bad scores, and it doesn't really matter if you think you deserve more or not. I mean, your job as an athlete is to make the judge's job easy, right? You're supposed to go out there and give it, make sure that there's no doubt in anybody's mind, in any of the judges' minds, that you won. And if you're like out there complaining that you got second when you think you deserve first, even if a lot of other people out there think you deserve first, like the writing's on the wall, you didn't do your job good enough because if you, you know, you should be aiming to make it impossible for the judges not to let you win. So that was well said. Yeah, I don't know. That's really well said. Uh, thinking about that, what comes to mind is Sean White, right? Back in the day, like in snowboarding, when Sean White was on a tear, he would win everything, and you'd be like, yeah, that was clearly. Yeah, clearly. That was clearly better than everybody. <laughs> he went but, bigger. But nowadays, when you watch a slope-style event, it's, you know, in snowboarding, I'm a little bit more tuned in. I, I don't know exactly the skiing stuff that's going on, but it's very close in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, it could go either way. And I've actually stood in the judging booth at the Dew Tour. We were doing, like, this behind-the-scenes thing. And <clears throat> it's really interesting. I was, like, watching how the judges do it, right? And so the, they, they all come down. And they write down what trick the person did on each feature, right? And so when you look at the at the run on paper, the the you know the bigger spins look better, you know. Mm-hmm. Period. That's just it. So it's like I don't remember exactly if he grabbed or he didn't, but that spin looked better. That was like that's more more rotations, more flips is better in a just simple, quantifiable, easy way. Take subjective style out of it. But going back to what what you were saying earlier, I just think. That you know, for like we're losing, we're losing the audience. I think like it's it's they don't even I don't even know what the fuck it, I'm like a snowboarder and yeah. I don't even know what the fuck trick is going on. Imagine well, they all do the same trick almost. And, and then, but then you see in snowboarding, like Tor Gear, for example, does he switch back fives and then he mm. waits and then he grabs method, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that if they made one, and I think that the audience that would be good for snowboarding and skiing because it would bring more eyeballs. The, the average person is going to like watching Tor Gear do the switch back five. Boom, big method. Oh, wow, that was beautiful. As opposed to, like, I don't know what the fuck that was. That was a lot of spins. And so I think the mandatory under one of the, first of all, in pipe, there should be a mandatory straight air. Just because I just, that's just my take. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think there needs to be one jump under 900, I would say. Because now you can do a back radio 900 and it is stylish yeah. as fuck. Sure. So I think those are the two things that, Hopefully, I don't know how to make a change in that department, but I think it would help the sport. And then also, like, I watch Supercross, you know? Like, Supercross is fun. It's every it's every Saturday, you know, whatever. And there's a, there's a race for points, and they've really, like, built up the story of the race for points. I wish there was, like, a unifying... It seems like this in skiing and snowboarding, it's, like, people don't really give a shit about those, those like, the world tour or whatever it's called as much. Like, I wish they could make it more of a TV attraction. Yeah, it's just... It's not... Not as like established as that, you know. Mm-hmm. There's like, I mean, they have the World Cups now and the World Cup tour, but like, there hasn't really been like they did it with Ticket to Ride for a little while. Like, the Jew tour was cool because they had those three events, mm-hmm. and you're trying to like have that consistency every other week to like work towards that overall cup. Um, but there just seems like there's less and less events now, um, and it seems like. You know, there's X Games and Do Tour, but there's not, there's not really there used to be a bunch of different opens. I mean, and skiing, you know, there's a lot less events than there used to be. Let's talk Icon Pass now on sale. Claim the best deals of the season before promos go away and prices go up on May fifth. Own the season, own the stories, own the stoke. 
For winter 21-22, unlock access to more than 40 Icon Pass destinations where you can explore wide open spaces. I personally like to explore Brighton Resort. I like to check out Snowbird. With exclusive spring savings and purchase options, including special pricing for 2021 pass holder renewals and a payment plan from $0 down and 0% APR, your season of Stoke is closer than ever. Explore pass options and take advantage of limited springtime offers before promos go away and prices go back up on May 5th. Let's talk about their options, buds. The Icon Pass for $999, unlocking the most days, the most mountains, and no blackout dates. The Icon Base Pass for $729 opens up a season of adventure with limited blackout dates. And the Icon Session Pass 4-Day for only $399 allows you to kickstart your ride. As with last year, Every Icon Pass comes with adventure assurance, including credits in the case of a COVID-19 closure and the option to defer the value of an unused past, no questions asked. Every moment spent in the mountains is a new opportunity for discovery and connection. Connection to the mountains and connection to each other. Own the Stoke today for the best prices of the season at IconPass.com. Okay, I think it's time for You Know What, Buds. Name that video part. That is correct. So, uh, we like to ask the listener or guest, mainly the guest, not the listener, <laughs> uh, what your <laughs> confidence level zero through 10 is on name that video part. We did a ski video, by the way. A ski video. Um, I'll probably roll like a four or five, maybe like 50, 50. Okay. 50%. If it's super, yeah, yeah, we'll see. All right. Kind of nervous. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Swollen members. What movie is that? You want to play again? No. Maybe like, is it Tanner from Happy Days? Woo! That is correct. Wow. Oh, yes. That is correct. Yes. Your uh, street credibility went up. Oh, uh, thank you. Got yourself a bombhole cooler with a, thank yeah, you, a bombhole sir. coffee mug, a Stony Buds air freshener, uh, a t-shirt, uh. cheddar biscuits he tea. earned that one, too. Yeah, okay. boys. And all of that stuff is available at bombhole.com, as well as the beanie that Buds is wearing. Sky high resi tip. Get that. Okay, so for part two of Name That Video Part, this is for the listener viewers. If you're unfamiliar, comment on the photo of Jossie when the episode comes out for a chance to win a little sticker pack. And, uh, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> we don't always get them out on time, but you'll get it eventually. So uh, if you as know long, it, As long as you ask. <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, the yell kind of gives that one away. Is that a snow or, or snowboarding? That's a snowboarding. Or yep. Okay. I want to thank you guys. Just a classic. So we have a Patreon question from Brantley Dent. How long have you known Billy Mackey? Did you all meet and do moto bikes bring you all together? Love that you're getting skiers on the podcast. My boy, Billy Mackey. Uh, I actually met. Hold on, we got to give Billy an air yeah, horn. Yeah, Matt, air horn. 
Okay. Uh, homie Billy from Colorado. Uh, I met him in Colorado. I used to spend a lot of time in Summit County. Lived there for quite a few years. Uh, so I met him up at Keystone. He was just cool guy, chilling on the bench, smoking cigs, kicking it. What up, dude? This guy seems cool. <laughs> this guy seems all right. And, uh, yeah, we just headed off, became homies, and then uh, I got into bikes kind of because of him and um, spent a lot of years chilling with him, building bikes. He helped me build my panhead. It's uh, up at his place in Leadville now, stored away until the snow goes away. Um, yeah, good homie. Got to marry him and his wife a few years ago. It was dope. Billy goes hard, man. He's got some dope street clips out there. Yeah, Ripper. Um, What's a panhead for the layman? It's like a Harley yourself? Davidson. Also, oh. a 1957 Harley Davidson, old chopper. Nice. Yeah, goes hard. That's sick. It you lot. just have one stashed in Landville. <laughs> yeah, it's chilling. <laughs> well, while we're on some uh, question, guest questions about some Rado dogs, I got a guest question presented by Solomon. Uh, if you're looking to get some snowboard bindings, I read the Solomon Districts. They kick ass. I put them on every single board I get. Now, let's get into a guest question from our mutual friend, Jordan Brown, and current Sims Snowboards team manager and all-around champion, really. All-around champion. Air horn for Jordan Brown. Let's give him an air horn before we do the questions. Yeah, Sorry about that. kind of light on air horns today. Bombhole. This is Jordan Brown. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Jossie, you're my brother and a big inspiration in my life. Over the course of your career, you've experienced numerous injuries. You've approached those unexpected hurdles as opportunities to get stronger and further evolve your skiing and spirit. What sacrifices have you had to make to stay on top of your game? Love you guys, and thanks for doing what you do. Nice. Yeah. Nice Great question on. from JB. That is good. Man, I mean, that dude has been a huge inspiration on me for a long time. Um, we've been friends for probably over a decade now um and yeah coming like through injuries you just kind of realize that if i don't put the work in i'm not going to be able to go riding again and that's what it comes down to and so through those periods of time you can kind of you can let it knock you down and of course you know post-surgery and stuff you don't feel that great but you kind of can have this opportunity where when you take a break from being on the hill all the time and you kind of can change your perspective you know and so each time i've gotten injured i've just really made a mental mental decision to try and like come out the other side stronger not just like physically but also mentally and, and work through it and that's kind of like how it's been for me like every injury i've had i've come out the other side like damn that was kind of like a blessing in disguise in a way um and you know jordan himself experienced a uh, pretty bad injury to his like knee and leg snowboarding up at Vale and uh he spent a long time rehabbing that and was super into his road cycling and he was a, he was the one that kind of like made me see road cycling for the first time I was like it's kind of tight um so after a knee surgery I got a road bike and started getting into that a lot um and yeah I think just during those times of being on the couch or laid up in the hospital it's just like this great like you have this ability to just kind of reset everything you know when you're skiing all the time and you're just like go 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 you can kind of like not lose track but you're just like so in the moment that you're just kind of rolling with it and then when it all stops you're like all right what have i been able to accomplish what is it that i still want to accomplish how am i going to accomplish this and kind of start setting goals for yourself and, and ways to like build back from where you're at 
Um, so that to answer that question, that's pretty much like those injuries do have enabled me to like, you know, see a different perspective and just kind of reset goals and and then try to work towards it. And then chances are, if you put in that work physically, um, and you can come back stronger physically, then you can get on on snow again and be just as strong, if not stronger than before. And then you know, sometimes that that time off snow can be super good for you mentally, and and then you can just come out firing again. Especially if you're riding year round, like it sounds like you do. Mm. That sounds crazy. What'd you do about your jumper's knee, dude? I uh, I had some stem cell, not surgery, but stem cell work done on it. Um, I was probably like twenty one ish, so it'd be like two thousand eleven. I kind of was like fighting through it for a number of years, and as long as I kind of managed it and didn't land forwards and made sure I didn't land back seat, didn't land flat in the pipe that sort of thing, I could kind of like manage my way through it for those years. Um, and it just got to a point where I like, I couldn't really ride very much. And then I'd go to a contest, do like two or three runs practice just to feel the course out and then just like wait for contest day. And then I'd go and like try to do a run and just completely blow up and then be like, why can't I land? <laughs> Dude, you're not riding. And I, it just became to a point where I like couldn't really do it anymore to the level I wanted to. So um, my dad actually just started doing a bunch of research and there wasn't really any options to like fix it. Um, the surgical option is kind of 50-50, like fix you or ruin you kind of thing. So I was like, I'm not about to roll the dice on that. Um, and then dad kind of found out about the stem cell stuff. And this was like pretty early days of the stem cells. Like no one really knew what was going on with it. And he started doing this research, found this place uh in australia that was doing it i think it was like australia germany and sweden were the only places in the world that were doing this treatment and the only thing i'd heard about it was like raf nadal had bad knees and he went away and had had something done and then he came back and he was playing tennis again and like word on the street was he had had this thing done and i was like well it's good enough for nadal like let's give this a go <laughs> And from all the info and like a talk to the doctor that was going to do it and it was basically like it's not going to make anything worse. All it can do is like not work. So I was like, cool, it's three months off, like let's do it. So basically I went I went to Aussie. I had, they stuck this huge needle into my patella like tendon. He, yeah. Massive needle with like, it had a big hole like through it, right? Like a 10 inch needle. Stick it in listeners. and then they like click it four times and it was pulling out pieces of my patella tendon and taking samples. Then I went away and for six weeks they cultivated these, um, my tendon cells and they start with stem cells and they make what they call tendonites and it's basically like... They like spin it up? Is that how they do it? They like spin oh, that's it? like the PRP Oh, stuff. that's different? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, they basically take stem cells, use the the cell from my patella tendon and somehow, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how they do it, Science. they somehow basically grow my tendon cells. So they replicated my tendon cells. Um, so they cultivated 10 million little tendon cells of mine and I went back six weeks later and they injected 5 million into each knee where it was bad. And they were, it was like this huge thing in my head. Like I was having this big procedure and like, it was, it was a big thing in my life. Right. And I like go in there, I sit down in this, the chair, the dude comes in and he just sticks these two needles in my leg. It takes like three minutes. He's like, right, you're good to go. And I was like, that's it. Word? <laughs> um, and I was asking him, like, am I going to be in pain? Like, what's the guy? He's like, no, nah, you should be sweet. So I go out to check out to pay for it at the thing, and all of a sudden it's like, 
overwhelming pain in my knees, but like a pain I've never felt before. Super weird. Yeah. Super deep. It was like deep, dull, insane. Like, I don't know. It was the weirdest, weirdest feeling. But that lasted like a day and then it was chill. And I basically took three months off and then went to Whistler for Camper Champs and started skiing again. And the first, first few months, like Camper Champs, I was chilling runs a day and then just build up and then by the new zealand season like probably four months after this the uh, procedure i was skiing like nine in the morning till three in the afternoon and i hadn't been able to do that for years and years and years so i was frothing so it worked it didn't fully heal me like it, it probably i was at about 20 percent capacity maybe and it got me back to about 80 so i was like dope this is it i can roll with this um and then talking to other doctors they're like you can get back to 100 but basically like what I'm doing to them all the time is like it's, it's about as good as it's gonna get. Yeah, it's gonna bring yeah. them back. Let's to talk Yeah, how, that's how much? Uh, how much are we talking for that? Mm, They're not cheap. Yeah, not cheap. I think it was maybe like five k. Oh, worth that's it, it though. Six worth k something per like knee. That? Oh, I can't really remember. I remember it being like nowhere near as much as I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, that, I was kind of shook. Like, man, but to get you back to eighty percent. I mean, yeah, 20. dude. When it's like you know, when it's kind of your job, you, you know, it's like. That's just an expense to yeah, get money you back well to spent. it. You know, I mean, I got to go 100%. be shrimp, shredding again. Was sick. Take you from twenty knee is twenty skiing to, only thing because I've never. Nah, they they call it jumpers knee because a lot of basketball players and stuff uh, get it too. Yeah, okay. um, it's kind of it feels similar to uh, like tendonitis. You know, when uh, kids are growing you. and you get tendonitis in the knee. Like it's it's that same thing, but tendinopathy is like the chronic version of it that like isn't from growing and it's just like something you've got just from jumping too just much. Just from jumping like. Dude, Ollie downstairs sits as a kid. Not to go. Now, <laughs> not to move. Go, no. Going back to Jordan Brown's original question, it was kind of like, well, you know, when, when he was asking what sacrifices you've made to be where you're at, it reminded me of, you know, going back to when we hung out a lot, maybe six, seven, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we went to Summer X Games mm-hmm. and we're just party. Like, I, I know I was partying my face off. <laughs> we were both having a good time, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it seems like you've simmered down in that department a little bit uh as you've gotten older yeah i mean you know you can't run full noise and expect to not fall off you know like i mean just physically you know like if you're as you get older if you want to be out riding every day and being able to do what you want to do with your body like you have to take care of it you know and drinking alcohol we all know is not great for the body you know um, so yeah, it was just something that as, as I got older and started realizing if, if I wanted to keep doing what I want to do, then just had to slow down and look after myself a little better. And then also other things that you've gotten into, like riding your road bike, even schemo shit, like all kinds of gym. And then one, you were telling me the story about, um, you eventually ran a marathon, a New York marathon, and you were like a celebrity. <laughs> I was a celebrity. He, he was, I was, he was in the celebrity tent. <laughs> Who are you hanging out you with? In the celebrity tent? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, like I, uh, they had this tent at the st- like right at the start line. And normally, if you're in the race, you've got it. You're back like in the cr- huge crowd of people, and you got to be there so early. So people stand around for like four or five hours in the freezing cold. It's like November in in New York, super yeah. cold. And um, yeah, I was fortunate enough that. Um, my agent had sussed me a spot in the race and he knew the chick that was doing the like 
media things or whatever it was um and so i was part of this like celebrity group of <laughs> i was like with people from good morning america and all these tv shows that i'd watched it was like you know it was some like dingo-esque type of squadron in there oh and, dingo uh, would have been in his element yeah he would have been ripping it <laughs> dingo would be thriving right there yeah. and they got you up closer to the front too to start yeah so we literally just chilled in this tent right near the start line with like food and drink and it was heated and we just kicked it and then the race was starting and they just took us out and boom, we were off. There you go. But it's funny because like when you're, when you sign up, you've got to like tell them what pace you think you're going to do. So that, cause they put the fast people in the front and then it's kind of like staggered oh, yeah. so that everyone's like moving. So like the fast dudes aren't trying to like come and like run around people running mad slow people. like myself. So they stagger it all out like that. But then because I was with this like little group, they just like slotted us in kind of like right after the like elite, pro super fast guys and so the guys and girls that i'm like starting with they're all they're all like crazy fast marathon runners and they've got their their pace time set and i'm like i don't run fast like i really enjoy running but i don't run fast you got runners knee your jumpers i gotta, I gotta like look after these knees so i just yeah. i just cruise you know so it's like this race starts and i'm like oh this is a full stitch up and so it's you know when you see in a river where there's like the salmon like ripping around the rocks that was like me in the middle of this huge crowd. Everyone's just like <laughs> flying around, around me, kind of like giving me these looks as they go past. And like, I'm like, how are you Sorry, here? dude. Like, I know I'm not fast. <laughs> but man, that that was such a sick experience. Like they, the whole way is just lined with people like partying and celebrating. People like handing you waters. And Did like, you finish? Yeah, dude. It was sick. Just I was so, time and bro, I was like crying over the finish line. It was emotional. Runner's high. So I'd come back from like the knee surgery yeah. and like never thought I'd be able to do anything like that. And it was like a new chapter kind of crossing the line. I was like, all right, man, I can, now, I can do stuff again. It was cool. That's incredible. Now I got to ask, uh, I grew up in Massachusetts. We would always go watch the Boston Marathon. Same kind of deal. Um, we'd always sit on the sideline. And my favorite pastime is, uh, as a kid, is a lot of times people would shit themselves. Now, um, <laughs> what? Yeah, people get what happens on these things is yeah. they they push themselves so hard they like their body shuts down. They have diarrhea. I remember a lady on the cover of the Boston Globe had fucking diarrhea going down her pants. <laughs> and when cover. you're seven years old, it's incredible. That's like <laughs> it's like the best thing that could possibly happen. Now, did did you have diarrhea during this race? I did not. I didn't. Is there an advantage to diarrhea? Did you see anyone have diarrhea? Because the people that win uh, sometimes have diarrhea. Well, they have like they have like porta potties like. In different spots. No, these people that go. are winning, they're not pulling over. They're no, just no, running. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I stopped once to have a pee, like, in the thing. Like, I wasn't there to, like, sit some crazy time. I yeah. just wanted to run it and experience it all. Okay. But, man, those, like, those aliens at the front, oh, it's just crazy, bro. You see them running, you're like, we wouldn't be able to run, like, 100 yards at the speed that they're <laughs> running, like, uh, an entire marathon. It's so crazy. And they're just, like, these crazy skinny it's aliens they do with these run. big heads. And they're yeah. just, like, yeah, so, the so that lean. run a lot are so, so They're, like, like, overly skinny. A lot of uh, yeah. Kenyans, I remember back mm -hmm. in the Boston Marathon, they'd be, like, running around villages, you know, coming from no money. And they'd be, like, the front of the Boston Marathon winning. Just killing shit. it. Yeah. It's dope. It's cool, man. See, like, so many different, like, different types of people out there just, like, doing the marathon like any any like you could run a marathon you may like break i fully broke the last like one and a half kilometers i was like freaking should have seen me really it was so crazy my legs stopped working my knee like how many out. miles is it 27 27 i know it's like miles? 42 kilometers it's i know that the boston marathon right. i think is somewhere on long long way 23 i did it, I did it in could four, be wrong with that. 424 that sounds pretty good yeah i've missed my uh what was your longest you training? Wanted, you were going for 420? Yeah, and then my <laughs> knee blew out. 
<laughs> what was your what was your uh, longest miles you ran building up to it in your training regiment? Uh, I ran like thirty two. Thirty two kilometers. We don't we're okay. in so America, like so we don't know so what a kilometer is. I have no idea what that means. Can you use can you use <laughs> We're in America. We make everybody use uh, increments that don't make sense in the rest of the yeah. world. Basically, <laughs> like if the ru- if the race was like four, like for me, like four twenty four, I ran like three fifteen, like three hours and fifty minutes. So three quarters so of like a marathon. basically three quarters of yeah. it. Yeah, beautiful. Well, but I was running that on like trails in Wanaka on like gravel and dirt and like mm. these nice trails and then going to like the pavement on New pavement York City fuck oh, like halfway yeah. through it halfway and I was just like pavement is I'm broken this is brutal we rocking the Hoka's Hoka's got the thick dog soul no, some North Face guys oh shout out we gotta yeah. rep the sponsor shout out yeah dude uh, speaking of North Face you were talking about how you're conceptualizing I know we're jumping around chronologically who gives a shit um, <laughs> but uh you basically came up with this commercial, and you've been filming it. Can we talk about it? Is it secret? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a commercial. I guess it's concept? kind of kind what of a it? commercial. No, it's not really a commercial. It's like a video piece that um, I had this concept to make this video, and the North Face were down and kind of helped fund it and make it happen for me. Um, yeah, we just filmed it this week. Uh, up here at Woodward and then uh, out in the desert here with a ballerina and kind of the idea is a kind of like a duet between a ballerina and myself and kind of the similarities and the approach to it and the moves and just kind of the movement of body and stuff. So should be cool, man. I'm really psyched. That sounds pretty wild. Yeah, it's a good time. We've got a, a violinist from Salt Lake here that's uh, doing the score for it and that's also to like tie into, you know, my tie to violin growing up. And um, just the kind of approach I've taken to the skiing and how, I've, I don't know, when I ski, I've always wanted it to be beautiful and that's kind of been my focus and I think that I, I approach it similar to how a ballerina would approach her dancing. So I've kind of tried to mesh the two and um, I'm hyped. got my, my boy Brady um, filming and co-directing with me. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a really cool week. I'm psyched to see the end product. Now, we breezed over the fact that you played the violin are you still nice on that yeah thing? you're pretty sick with it or i'm what? not that nice on it yeah. i mean i can play but like violin is pretty difficult to make sound really good and when you're not playing consistently it's like hitting the wrong notes is very easy and sounds awful so i'm not that sick i can like i can play some songs you were sick um, with it though i mean i was a kid Buds and I never pretty- made it sound that sick but when you're a kid you get like yeah. cute points when you're busking you're like yeah. oh look at this cute kid and then as i got older it was like you just be like kid getting less so cute and anymore. less. Like, oh, you're not that cute anymore and you kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> He's really not that good. Buds and I, we're more of, uh, I'm better at the skin flute and yes. the rusty trombone. Classically, <laughs> yeah, those, classically trained yeah, Bud, in both. Yeah, yeah nice. the Buds is classically trained. <laughs> I'm a little bit more uh, self-taught. <laughs> self-taught the skin flute. Uh. All right, let's get into some hot takes. Yeah. Uh, MJ of snowboarding, who you got? MJ of snowboarding. Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably say T. Ricky. Travis Rice? Yeah. Good answer. MJ of skiing. Tanner Hall, I think. Candide's close. Like those two dudes. Run it up. They're both Respect. still crushing too. Okay. Let's give those boys some air horns. Yeah, they both need some air horns big time. Yeah. All right, what's your take on uh, ski boots? <laughs> They suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't done anything to like. They're pretty miserable to bring those further along. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you need that it's support. Just nothing, They're clunk, dude. These do. fuckers weigh so much, dude. But yeah. can't they come up with some materials that are, like, hella light? I know. They make some, some pretty light ones shit. for, like, touring and stuff, but then they just don't perform just don't as well for, like, going hard. Yeah. Okay, another hot take. Uh, Schemo. Ski, ski mountaineering. Ski mountaineering. Well, it's neither, really. It's, it's, not, it's not really mountaineering, and it's not really skiing, but it is cool. I got into it when I was uh, rehabbing as well. And uh, it's cool for fitness. I mean, I like doing fitness stuff, and I like skiing, so it's kind of a dope little mix. But it's pretty nerdy too. In the words of Ken, uh, in the words of Kenny Powers, I play real sports. I'm not trying to be the best at exercising. Yeah, word. <laughs> That's my take on schemo. Okay, um, we know on this show we talk a lot about uh, competition and uh, steroids being mandatory in competition. What are your thoughts on roids in competition? I mean, send it. Run it up? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it would be sick to see some kind of Olympics where everyone's roiding. I mean, just setting world records all over the place. But, I mean, at the same time, in our types of sports, like, what are you going to take to make you better? Like, I've nothing? Got, uh, this is my take. Weed is like steroids for your style. Yeah, that's true. That's why they test for it. That's true. That's true. True. Uh okay, we got the beaver slap in snowboarding. Do you guys have? A, do you guys do a ski slap? Like, what's the what's the snowboard not, equivalent? Sl- I've seen them slap the snow. Do you guys off. slap yeah. ski? Slap, slap it off, dude. I was, I was I was riding yesterday on my snowboard and I fully did a beaver slap like in the lift line and I was like, lol. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't do it now without like thinking oh. about it. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Kind of back and forth mm-hmm. on the skis. Maybe like the. More of a rock dolphin, maybe the dolphin mm-hmm. wiggle. You know what I noticed with some skiers that dolphin that <laughs> this isn't really hot takes. We're just, this is just a rant. I don't even yeah. know, but I noticed like watching. You go to Park City, it's a little bit more ski rundown, and and I'm talking about free ski, maybe not, but a lot of the skiers uh, that when they land on the jump, the after bang is crazy, bro, mm. dude. Like the stand up and like. <laughs> Like, do people not get called out for afterbang on skiing? Or, because that's like... I mean, it's kind of like a thing. It was it so is. big for a long you time. You got a bang? Yeah, you yeah. got a bang? I mean, like, yeah, it was a pretty big thing for a while. Like, I you, think it's kind of chilled out a little bit now, okay. but, yeah, the afterbang is like... I mean, I always thought, I think afterbanging is only dope when it's, like, banging from the top. Yeah. Like, if you know something whack in the air and then landing, trying to make it look cool, I don't think that's rad. But if you're, like banging from the top all the way in all the way in the air and then you land like you never left that's dope that's fair there's some like there's a there's a this is a very we're getting into like flavor this is an intangible topic Mm -hmm. right which is you know people are like well why why is my trick i did a 902 well well it lacked flavor that's the that's Mm -hmm. there's certain people that have the flavor and certain people that don't but i know that like some people they go off the jump they look good in the air they look and then they land and it's like like this kind of like their shoulders drop and they, <laughs> and they stand up and shrug it with their skis and they're riding away. I'm like, motherfucker, you would get made fun of like a motherfucker <laughs> on a snowboard if you did that shit. Straight up, dude. Like, I'm sorry, but like somebody needs to be calling these fuckers out. That's my take. Like, you just use the right amount of bang on the landing. Like, don't like wave your arms in the air and then land and go... <laughs> Dude, Gooner's bang lately is just oh he's in a he's in a league hook. of his own though. Yeah. That's Gooner. He no, his should, is he just always looks. <laughs> he good. wrote the book on the yeah, bang. He basically mm-hmm. wrote he's the like book. The, he wrote the bang bible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some of these fuckers. Oh. So anyway, yep. 
featured on the Bang Bus, maybe. Yeah, he could be oh, featured wait. on the Bang Bus. <laughs> Driver, <laughs> the, bang the Bang Bus presented by the Bang Bus presented by Goon Gear. <laughs> Woo. All right, let's talk about some of your other shit you're into. <laughs> <laughs> You guys can vibe on this topic. Uh, <laughs> Photography. This motherfucker's nice yeah. with it. Oh, yeah? Uh, you know, I'm wearing some film. Yeah, he's it's a fun. film dogger. Film. Yeah. What are you yeah. shooting with? I have a Leica M7. Nice. Yeah, it's nice. I've been uh, into the rangefinder system. That's and, pretty uh, dope. Have you been doing that a long time, or is this something new? Yeah, I, I have. I've, I got an M9 first, so I ran, like, the digital body for a long time. Um, and then I was running the monochrome body. For a little while, I've still got that one now, but uh, yeah, gone to film a few years ago and just been kind of doing that now. Are you shooting cool. a lot of skiing or just everything or kind of whatever I'm up to? Yeah, I take it out in the backcountry with me a lot. Um, that's sick and shoot the homies, shoot what's going down. You got some stuff published? Ah, uh, yep, had some stuff in like show them the goggle, skiing. show them the goggle. Oh, these ones right here. Well, I've been looking at that yeah. goggle, dude. These are, these are some of my photos of uh, the mountains back in Wanaka on here. Had it set up like a dude. That's pretty sick. No one's ever done that on a goggle, huh? It yeah. like fits so perfect. Pretty hyped. But yeah, I've got this like guy's a, got a pro model uh, photographer. Yeah, there goggle. we go. But yeah, dude, I just sick. like develop film in my um, in my like laundry. Oh, you develop and, your own film, yeah, too. and then got my scanner and whatnot, and just kind of jam at home and regular artiste. It's fun, dude. It's cool. cool. It's I don't know. It's just kind of cool with like our fast paced media. In yeah. your face, everything, Especially instant, film, instant right? everything. It's just so nice to like check out, take photos, see them way later, way and later. even ta even like I feel like when you're taking the photos, when I feel like if I'm when I'm shooting digital, I'm like I'm shooting photos and I'm looking down at my camera yeah. and I'm like just like so in here. Whereas like when you're shooting film, you're kind of out and you're like cool moment, like boom, and the camera's down and then you're still there and just kind of yeah. It's nice, like, touring and stuff when it's kind of slow-paced. It's hard when you're sledding and, like, you know, I mean, you'll know, trying to, like, yeah. snap stuff when you're out, like, full noise. But when you're out touring, splitboarding, cruising around with the homies, it's, like, such a nice pace just to shoot some photos and cruise. And That's cool. Yeah, I'm down. Do you uh, develop most of them or just get the thumb drive or how do you normally do it? Yeah, just develop it at home. And then um, scans it. And scan it. I've got a scanner that does that and then got on the computers, digitize it. Um I don't develop color though. I haven't got that set up. I just do black and whites myself and have like a lab do the color stuff. It's Dope. an interesting thing because, you know, we're old heads. We know about film and all that. And um, having a print that you can hold, like I take so many photos of my phone. It's like I will never, it's like I take a photo of something like I'm never going to do anything with that. Mm -hmm. Like that will sit on my phone for the next like six years and just. Until your phone gets full. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it's like when you have something there, like that's a great moment in time and you can hold it. Mm -hmm. There is something to be said about for that. Sure. Yeah, totally. It's dying with the screen. Yeah, big time. It's nice holding prints for sure. Especially if you're doing them yourself, dude. That's mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. I haven't done the uh, the full darkroom prints yet. And that's like the next thing that I want to get into because. I don't have a dark room, so I just have like a one of those dark changing tanks. Oh, you can gotcha. like put it in a changing bag, and then it's just in there, and you can just do all the chemicals out in the open. Yeah, um, but I'd love to do the dark room print sometime. Room. It'd be cool because that seems like it's like from from the moment you put the film in to then having that print, like all those processes can go so wrong. And yeah. it's like <laughs> when you do get one out, like even digitizing the thirty five mil strips, like 
when you get one, you're like, yes. <laughs> like, there's so many it's times you could have like messed, messed it up, it up and got laid on. Yeah, it. totally. True story. Um, yeah, and the new film Deviate that he just worked on. There's like a slideshow section. It was all his photos, and it. it was sick. Oh. But uh, this is a pretty good time for our next guest question, which is presented by Solomon. And this is from our dog, Sage Kotzenberg. Here we go. Yo, what up, Bombhole? Sage Kotzenberg here. Big fan of Jossie Wells and a longtime friend. I got a question for you, Jossie. From winning X Games when you're mad young, tons of X Games podiums, do tours, countless contest wins, and then, you know, getting a couple injuries and kind of navigating all those injuries and kind of find out what you can do after that. And now it seems like you're in a really good place filming backcountry with your crew, with Torin. And I just want to know what the thought process is that from going from contests, you know, getting a couple injuries and then finally, you know, making it to the backcountry and really filming these parts and immersing yourself in. And, um, yeah, just want to know what that uh, process is like. Thanks, man. Bye. Uh, love you, Sage. My G. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think anyone that rides skis or snowboard and is like pursuing the comp thing, you kind of have always have the vision that like when you're done with the comps, you're like going to go to the backcountry. I mean, at least it was like that for me when I was young. Like I always loved riding pow. Um, always, you know, I grew up watching video parts and contests and like always wanted to do both. By the time I was like heavily in the contest scene, there were so many events that having time to like film a part at the same time was like pretty difficult. And then you throw some injuries in the mix where like you may not get to finish out a season or whatever. Um, so I always wanted to go and spend time and, and make films. Um, but I was just like, all right, this comp window is pretty short. I'm just going to give it my all in this. And when I'm done with this, I'm going to move over into the film side of things. Um, and then, you know, I start having injuries and it's the comps are becoming harder and harder to come back and whatnot. And um, then, yeah, I just was kind of like, all right, I'm at a point now where I've done a bunch of comps and <sighs> was it worth trying to come back and try and like give everything my all in the competition stuff with it being so like high risk and so you know it can go, it can go pretty wrong on those hard as park jumps especially as you're getting older and uh and I was like look man if I if I I could maybe go and do that if I put all my focus on that but like what's more important to me like being able to ski and have a long ski career and be able to do this as long as I can um or is it like roll the dice all in with the comp stuff and I just kind of made the decision like all right dude like I'm at a point now where it's a it's going to be a good move and it's the time for me to switch over and put all my energy into making ski films and it's just I mean it still is it's like really gnarly work like it's actually more hard work than competitions are as far as like long days a lot of physical work the mental side is still there maybe not quite as much as the comp stuff but it is super hard work, but when it comes to the filming, like it's on your time, right? If my knees are feeling good, I can go get it. If they're a bit sore, I can be like, I'm going to chill for a day or two and then I'm going to go clip up. Whereas at the comps, like that, that's a schedule that is set. If you're sore the morning of finals, like too bad, buddy, 
you got to go send it. So that's been the benefit for me. Like my, I still have to manage, you know, my body and the stuff that I've gone through. Like I have to manage myself, but I'm able to do it on my time now. And if I'm feeling not so good a day, then I'll just get on the camera and film tour and going hard. And when I'm feeling good, then I send it, you know, so just being able to have that option and that kind of flexibility to work with it has been super good. Um, and yeah, dude, it's been, it's been an interesting change. I mean, you always, always thought, yeah, late twenties, I'll like switch to the film and then you're late twenties and you're like, Oh, it's, it's here already. <laughs> and, and then one of the hard things was like learning to be content with what I had been able to accomplish and moving on from that. Cause, and like reaching the point where you're like, Oh man, I'm not actually going to have a chance to get another X games medal or something. And learning to just be like all right man like i gave it my all this is what i was able to accomplish like i'm gonna have to be cool with that and move on and like change that focus to try and excel in another area um but when you when you're from the comp world and it's always about the next comp because even if you win one it's like tomorrow it doesn't matter so you're on to the next and it's this weird mentality you get in like more 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 kind of yep and then all of a sudden it's like oh there's no more okay, I'm just going to have to learn to be cool with that, you know? And that was that was definitely a pretty big, um, like, mental challenge that I went through in, in the beginning there a few years ago. Um, but now it's cool, man. I'm really, really enjoying my time out in the backcountry and that whole process and learning so much every single day I go out. Such good crew. My homie Torin is just, you know, we kind of did the move together. Yeah, straight up air horn. We, we did that move together. We both came off some pretty heavy injuries decided to team up and do this backcountry thing last year and uh it was so cool we learned so much we went into this year like just so much more knowledgeable than the year before and it'll be the same thing next year and yeah man it's uh it's no joke out there i used to watch video parts and skip through the powder because i was like show same. me the rail stuff show <laughs> yeah. me the show me the flips <laughs> the tricks now you're an appreciation and now dude man. i'm going back and watching all these parts and i'm like damn dude like that, guy that, did that is wild that was 10 years ago like damn so um i've gained a huge huge respect for you know all these backcountry riders that have been putting out parts for years you know always had respect but now you know until you go and try it yourself and you put yourself in that environment like you cannot take a single clip for granted out there you know it's it's hard work every single one of those clips you see is so much work that went into it behind the scenes that Unless you've gone out and tried it yourself, you just never kind of grasp, you know? You should try to, you should explain, because a lot of our listeners maybe don't, aren't familiar with the process, what it takes to get an, a clip on the average day when you're filming on a backcountry trip. Okay, so you're having to wait for weather, depending on the situation with that. You kind of want to hit jumps on good sunny days. Some days you sit in storms for multiple days until that happens. Um, but say you're going to have a good day that's with Bluebird coming and you want to have a jump set up and you go out the day before on the snowmobiles, you're up at five, six, getting everything ready. You head out in the snowmobiles, get stuck a million times, find a jump spot, spend all day shoveling, building a jump, head home on the snowmobiles, get home in the dark, be completely smoked. And be like, wow, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning and do the same thing again and granted you've been doing this for three weeks straight already um and then yeah heading out the next morning you'll probably want to get some early lights you're getting up super early heading out early again get to the jump zone 
hopefully jump you've built is like in the right spot sometimes when you're building on storm days you've definitely put it in the wrong spot and it's not going to match up and uh yeah then you hit it and the, the hard thing about the backcountry jumps dude is like you built that yourself like you're the physicist trying to make sure that you got these angles right and like i don't know i'm not a physicist <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of you're just playing it by ear and you're like building something that you hope works but until you hit it you have no idea and then with power snow like the speed is always way different than just like riding through the park you can get super consistent speed out there but like in the backcountry you just don't really it's hard to gauge where you should start from um so yeah then you hit it and you probably ragged all a bunch of times get smoked and then eventually get a clip and i mean it might be first time it might be first try in the clip and then you're like that's the dream day you get the sick clip but sometimes you'll try a trick eight times and you've gotten tossed and then you finally get it or you don't get it sometimes you don't even get the clip and you just beat yourself up and then you go home like wow what am i doing <laughs> and on a backcountry jump you only got maybe handful to eight tries before the landing is toast yeah, destroyed that's, that's the hard part too especially when you're with a crew it's like if there's two or three of you hitting the jump you're like cool i got like three hits max to get this trick and every time someone goes, the landing gets sketchier and scarier. And you're like, okay, I want to try to hit that tiny little sliver in between those two bomb holes. And then you're at like the top of the jump, like, well, I don't, I can't see the bomb holes. Like, where, where am I supposed to aim at? And that's when you kind of have just to switch in that thing, like, all right, switch off, let your body do it. And just the like subconscious uh, knowledge of like where you want to land, I've noticed. If I don't really think about it too much, then most of the time I'm able to, you like still find that little pocket and it's just like that, I don't know, subconscious thing. But it's pretty hard work. It is hard work, but it's super rewarding. And, you know, that feeling of satisfaction of stacking a clip and is really cool. And it's crazy because like that clip is not even 10 seconds long. And then while you're building a segment, you know, it takes it takes a lot of those 10 second moments. Um and it's I don't I'm really loving it. It's a sick lifestyle. It's it's it feels really good to work hard, you know, like you're you're smoked like a lot of the time, and it feels good to lock in and go hard, and then have something to show for it at the end of it. Oh yeah. Have you done a bunch of avalanche safety? I've done a like a it was like a seven day um, intensive. That's dope. Like Avi course, it's called like Avi One in New Zealand, and it's like has ten weeks of pre study before the the week really? long week long practical. Um, so I did that at home. It was really good, and then uh, yeah, we pretty much got a good basis there. Basically, you finish the course and you're like, cool. I don't ever want to go in the backcountry. This is way too sketchy. Yeah, straight up, straight up. But um, it's it's pretty cool with sledding because I feel like you're especially in North America, like you can stay pretty safe out there. If you want to be conservative, like, I mean, the snowpack this season out there was so dangerous and like really full noise. And so we were just staying real chill. We were staying in like chill trees, hitting pillows when, when the snow would be good and then we'd get the weather. Okay. We'd hit some jumps, but like we were never in exposed spots. Like we were just, Tor and I are both like pretty conservative when yeah. it comes to that. Like we want to be doing this for a long time <laughs> and, you know, trying to like push things to try and, you know, make our segments or our movies like super crazy. Like that's not really what we're on right now. We're just like, 
you know, we want to have a really good fun season together. We want to stay safe. We want to do some dope skiing, um, but we want to come home at the end of it. So that's smart. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it, it also like when you spend more time out there and you understand zones better and and snowpack more. Like that's when people can start pushing it and like we have a lot of friends that are super knowledgeable and, and know when to push it or not um but Tor and i both know that we're just like still pretty rookie out there when, it, when in terms of that type of thing so we're just like we're taking as it comes and trying to be safe um it's good with the backcountry as far as like even when you're talking about uh starting where to start for jump or speed when you build this cheese wedge you don't know where to go or how fast to go like that that all comes with experience. You watch a guy like an, an older guy, like a Devin Walsh or, or a Mikey Rents in snowboarding. And they're like, you know, they're going to start and they're going to land in the exact right spot every single time. That's something to look forward to. And uh, the one thing I noticed with the guys that are really good in the backcountry, it's like when it's sunny, it's like when it's go time, they click in and it's like, okay, today's the day I'm going to fucking pay the rent for the month. You know what I mean? Um, that's, that's what I noticed. I mean, for me just out there floundering around, I'm like, Oh fuck, these guys are killing it. <laughs> um, the, but the good, the, the like when it's good, you got to get it. Cause it's going to be four more days of clouds. After. And learning to be like, okay with like chilling when it's bad. is crazy. Too, How do you do that? Cause you just, uh, I don't know. You Have just you spend any time you, in Alaska. I haven't. I've only. I've actually only been. Really to, learn how to yeah, be okay true, with down right. days, you know. Fully. I've only been there once. Weeks. I hit street rails. I was like calling my dad, like, "Yeah, I'm in Alaska, on top of a, like a drop in for a street rail." He's like, <laughs> "In Juneau or what?" Like so bummed at me. <laughs> bummed <laughs> you went to Alaska <laughs> and you were in the streets. What are you doing? <laughs> Same boat. Never been Big Mountain. Only done Anchorage, Alaska. But yeah. we hit. We hit AK though. Fuck it, dude. We've had uh, we've had Chris Logan, homie, with us this season. He's like. OG in the backcountry ski world. I actually grew and up just, with him on the East Coast back then. Oh, yeah. Really? Sick. No, Dude, no. Yeah. He, it's been so Let's sick. Ski, yeah, huge air horn. It's been so sick just like being next to him and watching how he operates and like just sucking in that knowledge and like being a sponge, just chilling with him, watching him go hard. And you're just like, taking it in. It's so sick, man. Watching, watching those dudes operate that have done it for a long time is like really, really special. Now, I want to run it back real quick to, you talked about your dad earlier, uh, Bruce, mm-hmm. and there's a quote that you mentioned off air that your dad had told you when you're young, and I just think it's fascinating, and I want to hear you say that one again on the air for the listeners. Which one was that? Uh, it was in regards to when you were a kid and you were watching, like, you were Olympics. Six, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so I was probably, yeah, early, between, like, six and ten, somewhere in there. Um and I was watching the Olympics. It was actually gymnastics. And this dude, Alexei Nemov, had just, like, won the whatever. And he was going up to get his Olympic gold medal. And, I mean, granted, this was way before skiing was – free skiing was in the Olympics or anything. But Dad goes, you ever going to win Olympic medal, Joss? I was like, no, I can never do that. Dad goes, somebody has to be the best, Joss. Why can't it be you? I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, all right. The light there's, hammer. A, yeah. there's there's the moment like okay and I've, it's literally stuck with me forever and especially through those teenage years when i was like trying to get better and better it was just always this thing like all right someone's someone's got to do it so like 
I want to do it. You know? I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's sick that it yeah. stuck with you. It like sick. That. Pretty, like, looking back, man, pretty, like, sick bit of knowledge to give you grommet. So, yeah, like, to really plant in you yeah. and have you registered and remember I mean, <laughs> I mean we, we talk about, uh, like, whenever it comes up now or something, because I've obviously said it in some interviews before, Dad's always just like, man, it's, it's funny what sticks with your kids, you know? Like, he's probably <laughs> said so much stuff over the years, but that's something that he, like, probably doesn't even remember saying it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even remember yeah. saying it. He's like, really? <laughs> made that up. <laughs> like, Ricky Bobby's dad, he's like, if you're not first, you're not. Like, yeah. Hell, I was drunk when I yeah, said that. Yeah, boy, same thing. <laughs> uh, but one thing I wonder if you, while we were talking, I was thinking about my circumstances and getting older. Um, and do you suffer from, how, do, how would you put this? Like, when you're young, I was I always felt like I was the youngest in my crew. Like I I, I was riding with the older guys from a young age, and you're like, oh, I'm the grom, I'm the grom, I'm the grom, I'm the grom, I'm the grandpa. And then all of a sudden, you wake <laughs> up one day and you're like, I'm the old guy. What the yeah. fuck happened? Yeah, Have you experienced that? Yeah, dude. It's so funny, bro. I mean, I get it from my brothers all the time. They yeah. give me heaps, you know. But um, yeah, dude, I got called a grandpa the other day by this. Like, I was at Woodward coaching these little grommies. They're like between six and seven and uh someone was like oh the co- the other coach that was working there this was like this little girl was like oh who's that and he was like oh that's jossie wells he's bo- he had won the x games and she was just goes him there's no way he won the x games he's a grandpa <laughs> <laughs> and just like ran off i was like word <laughs> how old was this little girl <laughs> i think she was like eight or nine or something crazy Woo! shout out to that yeah no Holden, that's the name. Shout out Holden. Let's give her an air horn for yeah. that no one. Way that's way that's so games. funny. <laughs> yeah, it happens fast. You flip Super the fast. And you're the old guy. Yeah. Yeah, especially like thinking about um we had a uh, Reed Smith on here and he was throwing around the term old head one day. And I said to him, I said, Listen, you you enjoy it because one day you're gonna blink gonna and you're good. gonna be a fucking <laughs> old head. Straight up, dude. It creeps up on you quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's revolving. Nothing you can do about it. Nope. And might as well enjoy it. Now Roll they're younger it. and younger. I see these bobblehead kids. They can barely. They look like they're three, and their dad's following them with a GoPro, and they're doing flips and shit at yeah, Woodward. I'm like, dude, we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buds. I think it might be time to pay the bills real quick. Let's pay those bills. Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Wild Mike's Ultimate Pizza. We always break the ice with our guests by eating pizza and cheesy bites before recording. All of their products are 100% all natural. No artificial anything. No joke, the pizza bites are incredibly tasty. How about those jalapeno Those things are bomb, dude. I hammer those, dogs. They support us. You should support them. Follow them on Instagram at Wild Mike's Pizza. They're always doing cool giveaways. All right, let's get back to the show. One thing I want to ask here. You've done everything here. So you, you've you've done it all as far as like all the competition, now the video part. Now earlier, the motivation was probably winning, I'm, I'm guessing, younger age. Now, now, now what's the motivation? Like what drives you to keep doing what you're doing? The motivation now is to... Really enjoy the entire process of what I'm doing. Um, Yeah, from the moment that I left New Zealand to come over here for three months and start working on this next project with Torin, it was like, I want to enjoy every aspect of it, you know? And obviously, like, learning and growing and, like, having my writing get better is, like, that's a motivation as well. Um, And... You know, learning new things and, and learning how to adapt my writing into the 
backcountry realm is something that's like super exciting for me um but yeah man like with the comps you can get so caught up in just like the results and just like doing the run and it just becomes this this thing where you're like i don't know the one track mind i mean it is you you have to do that to succeed in that realm that's cool um but by the end of it as i was getting older i just getting a little burnt on that and uh and so when it comes to this type of thing now i'm just really trying to like enjoy the whole process and not get not get freaked out if i don't get a clip one day and you know and when i do get clips just be psyched on getting them and the whole process i mean you know i'm I'm back on the road again with the boys and you know it's not it's literally up to us what we're doing and you know you have to surround yourself with a dope crew because you're spending every waking moment with with them for a whole season and so i'm just super super gassed i've got a sick crew and we've been having so much fun out there and yeah dude it's cool it's 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 an interesting thing having your like it's all in your own hands basically you know back back in the competitions you're kind of having these validations every other week to your different sponsors and people that are supporting what you're doing and they kind of just see like you're doing well you're doing bad you're doing well it's like kind of right there but when it comes to this type of thing you're spending all season like out in the middle of nowhere with no one and then you know your base your job at the end is to have a project at the end of the year to show what you're up to and that project is literally like the level of that project just comes down to how hard you're willing to work and and what you're willing to put into it because you do you, you get out what you put in so um that's cool i like that freedom of you know it is on me so go hard when it's good chill when it's not chill hard ride hard i i love uh also just kind of highlighting what you said earlier <clears throat> about enjoying the process and that comes with age as well because i remember you know speaking on personal experiences you know a lot of riders when they're younger too you're so wrapped up in the trick the contest if you don't get a good trick you're making everybody else in the van miserable or you're salty, or, and it's like, you got to realize that as you, it takes age and perspective to realize, you know, these are the, going to be the best years of our goddamn lives. Like this shit's short. You got to get some. And, uh, knowing that like people, when you're fucking getting put in the dirt, people aren't like, Oh, remember when he backlipped the rail? They're like, no, remember when that dude was having a blast in the fucking van and we wanted to hang out with him? That's what the people, I mean, obviously you want to have some triumphs and shit on your skis and snowboards and whatnot, but like, it's like, dude, that's why I love hanging out with buds, dude. Me and him are just playing rap music with trash piled up to our knees. Like, it's my favorite part of the trip, you yeah. know, but you forget that. You're like, it's, I'm so wrapped up in the trick that you forget to enjoy the process. That's yeah. such a good, what, be it contest, you can enjoy the process of yeah. You know, that, that comes with age. Well, that's why it goes so fast when you're a kid is you don't take a second to look around and mm-hmm. enjoy where you're at. Listen, oh, I, yeah. I remember going on all these trips to international places. I have no idea where I even went. Like when Lucas was on here, he's like, is there a way to find out where I went? <laughs> <laughs> he, he forgot to take a moment and look around, man. Yeah. You got to just enjoy these, these times. Totally. I Maybe think... it'll uh, not go by as fast if you do, you know? Yeah, totally. It's just, that's just something that comes with age, I think, hey? And I'm, the the other thing that I find really cool about this aspect of the industry is like you're able to like express creatively a, a lot more. You have like so much more control over, you know, the creative aspect of things and how you're presenting your writing, you know, at comps, you're presenting your writing on their platform, you know, but when it comes to doing projects, like 
you have total con- creative control if you're doing your own thing you have total creative control of how you're presenting what you do to the world um and there's like so like limitless possibilities and that that creative side of things for me is, is really interesting and um and exciting as we're moving forward also that's really important too because maybe it's a blessing and a curse but like for myself i fucking care like i care <laughs> i w- i like when i see take for example in snowboarding maybe the dust box movie or maybe um you know like colton and tommy gesme's project these guys there's there's some video projects where you're like you guys make snowboarding look cool that's important and maybe i shouldn't give a shit but like i think it's important to have projects that make your your you know your sport your art form whatever you call it you know projected in the right way and there needs to be all different types of ways there's no mm-hmm. there's no correct way it's a shitty pun i didn't mean to say it but like yeah there's it's just like the effect of a, a good video preserves the culture in the right way to make it like make that 15 year old kid watching it being like damn i'm drawn to those guys mm-hmm. that's fucking cool that's not corny and i don't know it's nice like i think snowboarding has a you know, skateboarding's got like a sky high bullshit detector as far as like corn balls, you know. Mm-hmm. But like, it's nice to have that. We need corn balls, but we need there needs to be a level of fucking people that we look up to and respect in the right places. And it's important. Those video projects are what we're talking about, you know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's just sick because it doesn't come down to the trick. Like, yeah, the, it is the trick, but at the same time, it's like it's how you did the trick. It's what you were wearing when you did the trick. It was who gave you <laughs> high fives after you did the trick. It's what song you had backing for the trick, the editing that's involved. Like there's so there's so much within like making a dope part that I just think that it's it's super cool, you know. And it's just such a cool way of like self expression and like showing what you do to the world. It's rad. Absolutely. Have you had to compete against your brothers? Totally mm-hmm. different subject, but mm-hmm. how'd that go? Oh yeah, plenty of times. Um, Cause I mean, we're kind of three, four of you. There's, there's four of us together. That's yeah. crazy. Um, all of you in one contest ever? Uh maybe not like the big ones. Like, there's definitely there was probably comps that we were all kind of jamming at. But um, two of my brothers skied pipe, and then uh, two of us do slope style. Okay. I skied pipe until all the Sochi Olympics, and after the Sochi Olympics, I bailed on pipe and just went slope and big air. Um, so for the last while, it was like. Myself and Jackson riding slope, and Bo James and Byron were both riding pipe. Um, the announcers so. must have loved that, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty cr- – I mean, the thing with – like, we would always get those interview questions, you know, like, what's it like competing with your brother? Like, are you super competitive with each other and whatnot? And it's kind of like, man, like, if I'm not going to crush, like, there's no one else I would rather – yeah, hang crush on. than my bro. You yeah, know? So it's like, if I blow it, I'm like, let's go, boy. Like, you got to represent, put the team on your back. You yeah, know? let your bro. It's like win. one of us win, we all win. It's kind of like how we rolled. Like, we're all, it's like a unit. It's We're representing our family. You know, it's like, boom, one of us wins, we're all winning. Like, let's yeah, go. Your, your mom and your dad got four more, four times yeah. the yeah. reasons to be psyched. Yeah. Every, like, all right, Jossie fell. I got to give a big shout out to your brother Jackson. At the last Olympics, he was the only dude to do the psycho rail. That mad long rail. Give him an air horn for that. that. Big air horn. Uh. Uh, but, yeah, it's, dude, your brother's Jackson, so I've kicked it with the most. He's cool as shit. Mm-hmm. He's the man. Do you guys all have Olympic medals or? None. None? No, so I came fourth. 
What? In Sochi. Slope style, I blew it in finals. And then Pipe got fourth. And it was kind of crack up because the whole time, Bo and I Bo and I were rooming at the Olympics and we'd be watching events and like you'd see the person come fourth and the whole time we were just chirping like, dude. That would suck. Imagine coming <laughs> fourth at the Olympics. And then like, he did. This is the wor- <laughs> That would be the worst. And then I like, I'm in the pipe. Bo comes down after his run. I like the comps over and I'm sitting in fourth. And I'm just like, I'm kind of stoked because I, I landed a run that I was psyched on. So I was like, you know, cool. You're happy. And then, and then Bo comes down and he's like, dude, you got fourth. You're that guy. <laughs> I was like, no. And then Pyong Chang, Bo runs up fourth in pipe. Oh. <laughs> so the two half pipe ski Olympics have both been claimed fourth place by. Bo James and myself. That's a. I think that's what we get for like yeah. talking about it so much. <laughs> Always fourth. It's got to be some kind of record. Yeah. yeah. The brother yeah. record. Just, yeah. Are any of your younger brothers hopefuls for Olympics coming uh, up? Bo James is in the qualifying series. All right. But well, yeah, maybe they'll. Uh, he should be going. He'll. We'll, we'll, the whole team will be on his back. Maybe it's time for the, them to medal up. Then. Yeah. The rest of us. Have, the rest of us have bailed from the event, so Bo's going to have to hold it down for all of us. No pressure, G. All right, Joss. You've been through the ringer as far as injuries. I know uh, the patella, the knee absolutely exploded. Uh, you've got a broken neck. But I know you have a good story around a shoulder injury that happened recently. Mm. <laughs> yeah. A uh, couple years ago now, two years ago, I was out in Cook City with homie Bobby Brown, Airhorn, to the homie. Uh yeah, we're out there on a trip and had built this jump. Have you ever hit perfect jump? That one? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was on perfect. Um, Lace this one double cork, was hyped. I was like, yo, I got to back the double cork up with a 180. So I like tried this 180 on the jump. Uh, landed and landing switch and power on skis is like pretty tough. And it's super easy to like bounce kind of out of the bomb hole. And so I bounced out, and as I bounced out, I punched my left arm in the snow. And so as I bounced out, it just lifted my arm up and threw it back and uh, fully just blew my shoulder out. And I, like, am laying in the landing, and I'm, like, sitting there. I'm, like, yeah, something's up. My shoulder's, like, definitely out. I got video of this. I can send it through. It's pretty funny. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but entertaining <laughs> so i'm laying there i'm like okay my shoulder's definitely out so i start like yelling out to the homies i'm like does anyone know how to put a shoulder back in and none of them did and i was sitting there like okay this isn't good my shoulder's definitely dislocated and uh and so none of the boys that were there knew how to put a shoulder in but they had a satellite phone and so i got we got the satellite phone out and we called my dad in new zealand and it was like four or five a.m or something so wake dad up on the call. I'm like, dad, I'm in Cook City. I'm on the landing of a backcountry jump on a satellite phone. I think my shoulder's out. Can you talk the boys through putting it back in? So I go to give the phone to Bobby. Bobby's like so shook. He's like, no, no, no like not me. So we give it to the homie Colby. Colby gets on the phone with my dad and dad starts talking him through like examining. So he's Colby's like feeling around in here and dad's like, He's telling dad what he's feeling and dad's, you know, coaching him through it. So after the examination, he's like, yeah, cool. The shoulder's out. This is how you're going to do it. So 
dad talks them through how they're going to do it, the, the three of them that were there. And so get that, dad gets, they give me the phone back. I'm like, all right, dad, we're going we're gonna to try to put it back in now. And uh, had like one homie on this part of my arm, another homie here, and then another one holding down here. And they like did the move, whatever dad had told them to do, lift, basically like kind of lifting it up and pushing down or something. And I just felt it like crunch, crunch, and then like clunk back into place. And it was like literally the greatest feeling ever. Like when you have a dislocated shoulder and it goes back in, it's like, ah, instant pain. Like so good. <laughs> instant pain away. Yeah, instant away. Um, but it's and, excruciating before that. Yeah. Be. Oh, yeah, insane. And as it like went, when it went back in, I was like, all right, dad, it's gone back in. And as I was saying that, the like satellite phone dropped out. And I was like, oh, all right, well, that, that's like perfect. So then we literally just got this like rope that we had and just like wrapped me up like a mummy and chucked me on the sled and like doubled me up, chilled for a few days, went to Stedman and Vale, and I like drove myself one-handed back from Cook City to Vale, had the scan, and the doctor comes out and he's like, um, are you in a lot of pain? I'm like, oh, you know, it's sore. And he's like, okay, well, you've literally blown everything you can blow on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> So when it dislocated, it, like, blew the socket to bits. And then uh, the, like, rotator cuff, super spinatus, that was all torn. My labrum was torn. My bicep, where the bicep tendon attaches, was, like, torn. So I was, like, completely destroyed. So I flew home to New Zealand, got surgery, and it was, like, the worst ever post, like, three weeks after that surgery. It was, like, super gnarly. But, yeah. When was this? How long ago? That was, like, two years ago. It's still, I don't have crazy amount of movement in it, but like I'm trying to ride my hands down anyway, you know? Yeah. It's chill. Right. <laughs> Shoulders are harsh, man. Yeah, dude. Well, going back to the rehab process, diving back in, I know as you had all this time off with all these injuries, one thing I found fascinating was I was like, I think maybe I was in Mammoth. We were around the time we were like touring, me, you, and Jay Brown or something. I don't remember when you told me, but you kind of casually dropped. I was like, I'm, I've been listening to this guy like Wim Hof or something. And you're like, oh, I went and actually trained with this dude. And yeah. so you went and jumped into the ice and all that stuff with him, right? Yeah, dude. I went to Iceland and spent a week with Wim Hof, just me, him, and this, like, small film crew. And, uh, yeah, we were filming for this documentary film uh, for Universal Pictures that um, came out. It was on Netflix for a while. It's called The Free Man. Um, they didn't actually end up using any of the Wim stuff. I also spent a week with Laird Hamilton out in Hawaii, which was super cool. Um, but that stuff never ended up making the cut and it's basically this film of me going and meeting up with these guys called the Flying Frenchies from France and they do all the wingsuiting, base jumping, all the crazy adrenaline stuff and uh, the film kind of explores the flow state and why we do what we do and whatnot and they, the idea that basically followed me going there and then putting me in, in situations that were like completely outside of my comfort zone. Like they had me high lining, which is like slack lining, really really high above the ground in between these cliffs at the top of Chamonix like really intense strapped like, in though right well I had a tether yeah that's like can but, you, but like still terrifying like terrifying. I don't know how to do that like yeah. for me it was a skill thing it's like why am I going on this I already know I'm going to fail like <laughs> I can't slackline G. I can't like, go from to one fall. tree to the next in yeah. the park I don't slackline dude come on <laughs> <laughs> And so I went out and just like fell off this thing a bunch of times into the void. It was like mad intense. Um, Every fall just scary as hell. Huh? But yeah, but the 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 trip with Wim Hof was like a, even though I didn't make the film, that was like the highlight for me. Um, that dude's 
very interesting. Such you a, have a unique crazy guy. breathing technique he does. Yeah, we did I all these about. crazy breathing techniques. Kind of basically like super well, like purposeful hyperventilation kind of. Um, and so we did all these breathing techniques, and then we swam in a glacier lagoon. Um, and because it's like where it's like a glacier comes down, it's this big lagoon, and then it goes out into the ocean. And because it's like a mix of fresh and salt water, it's able to get below freezing level and stay liquid. And so not freeze. yeah, so this water was literally like minus two degrees Celsius. And when your body touches like surface that cold, you're like your skin cells start dying immediately. And so you have this period of time where if you're in it for longer than eight minutes or I'm not not fully sure, but there's like a period and it's not very long where like you basically like die. But when you go, when you go in and you're like swimming in it, you like, you have this certain amount of time that it's like all good, but your, your skin cells like start dying. It'll start shutting down. And it was crazy, bro. Like we were doing this like kind of breaststroke, like chilling and, it was like so cold that everything in my body, I could feel everything. I could feel every tendon and ligament and like muscle, like lengthening and shortening as I was moving. Like it, it was so crazy. And it was funny because it was like, like, you don't want to get in water that cold. That's crazy, you know, but there's like this film crew and Wim's like, we're going. And he's like walking in and I'm going in after him. And I like touch the water and I have this moment where I like pause and I'm like, I'm not going. No way, bro. I'm out of here. Like, no way. And then it's like the film crew. I'm like, I got to do it. Cruise in, swim around for like a, a minute and a half or something. And bro, like coming out of the water, it was like the craziest high. I came out like yelling, screaming, like, ah, this is insane. And then he has these like, instead of, we had this little hot tub set up on the back of this tray, like this diesel freaking jerry-rigged hot tub that was sick but he has this movement technique that he does when he gets out of the water that's meant to like you can heat yourself up so you're kind of in this stance and you're like doing these like crazy tribal and he's yelling he's yelling the whole time he's like going all nuts and it was so crack up because as he was doing this thing in my head i'm like this is kind of ridiculous and but i was like fully embracing it like yeah, and I was like yelling and stuff. And then as he was yelling, it, I had this like moment where you remember that scene from Wolf of Wall Street when Matthew McConaughey's like, oh, he's like going crazy. So as as Wim's doing this, I'm thinking like, yo, this is kind of like that. So as we're going, he's going, oh, I'm doing these like chants, and then I just start going. <laughs> and he was like yeah he's getting into it and we were just like doing this crazy like chanting on the beach it was so funny man he, he dubbed me mini ice man after that he was so down it was sick and we did it once and like they got the shots and then wim's like do you want to do it again i was like yeah dude that was insane so we went in and did it another time and uh yeah i mean talk about being in an uncomfortable place like putting yourself in this situation like that is pretty sick mental training. Like I don't want to do this cause it's going to suck, but I'm going to do it anyway. Kind of sick. Chris and I have spent some time in some uh, subarctic. Oh waters. yeah. We, yeah. Where was that? <laughs> in Finland? Finland. I forgot we did that. Where they cut a hole 
and yeah. you jump in, but you get to go right in the sauna after. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, nice. Chris jumped in twice for the photo though, and uh, remember Hailstorm slipped and tried yeah, to do Hale, a gainer. Hale tried to do a gainer and <laughs> caught his feet on the dock. Like no, there was like yeah. ice on the dock, so yeah. he came in for a gainer, trying to hot boy. Like <laughs> slipped out, landed directly on his head in the ice water. But dude, I was I was curious just because I've listened to. Uh, Wim Hof on a bunch of podcasts, and it seems like he just yells at you the whole time. Was he just yelling oh, at you? Mate. So intense, yeah, dude. It was so intense. Like I met him at the Amsterdam airport, flying through. We like were from different spots. Met up in the airport, and he's just like a hundred miles an hour, like, instantly full noise. Yeah. And I'm like kind of chilling, yeah. And I'm like, well, it's gonna be a long week. This is like pretty full noise. He's like but that all the time. He, yeah, he's just like super high energy. And after chilling with him, like. It was cool, man. It was such a fun week. Like in the beginning, I was like, "This is pretty full noise," and it's like a, a weird thing. It's like midwinter. Like it was. I went from comp to do that, and then back to another comp. Um, so what? You, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. What'd you do with Laird? Oh, Laird. Well, <laughs> this is the premise surfs of the, big waves. This is the premise of the film. They're like, yeah, they didn't. They wouldn't. They didn't tell me I was going to Iceland with Wim Hof. I just like met him in the airport. I'm like, oh. Wim Hof. Oh, this all good. Like, oh, and they're wow. like, "Yeah, we're going. We're, we're, he's taking you swimming in like ice." And I was like, <laughs> "What? I don't. What?" <laughs> and Down so with Laird, they were like, didn't tell me what I was doing. They're like, "We're going to Hawaii." I was like, "That'd be sick." Like, it was right after X Games. I was like, "Yeah, it's sick. Let's go to Hawaii and kick it." And I roll up, and they're like, "Yeah, you're hanging with Laird Hamilton while we're here." I was like. Dude, sick! And then they're like, "Yeah, he's gonna tow you into a bomb." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm like, yo, like, I can like surf, like waves, like small waves. Like, I'm not a big wave surf. What do you mean? And like, yeah, like, just get you outside your comfort zone." I'm like, "You know, there's a difference between getting outside your comfort zone and like towing someone to their death." Yes, <laughs> like that's no joke, guys. But luckily, which was really good for me, uh, it was flat the whole time. And I got to surf like Honolulu Bay at two feet and it was sick. <laughs> they were going to send you into some big waves? Dude, they were going to tow me into some big waves. Wow. You know what's sick? What I, I really, mean, they thought they were going to. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have. You must I, have been I, stoked I it was flat. Oh, I was so pumped. Yeah, you could yeah, straight die. you could literally die. Yeah. Cool. But that, that's how the Wim thing happened because the, the thing with Laird was first and Laird's real good homies with Wim. And so we were doing the breathing stuff with Laird, and he's like, yeah, it's this whim thing. And the film crew was like, oh, let's get whim involved. So that's how that thing kind of transpired. You know what I realized about the premise of your movie? It's it's a lot like a dog's life. Like, <laughs> you take a dog. They never know where they're going, but they're just fucking down. Like, my dog, <laughs> Phil, he's like, where are we going? I'm in. Yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Let me get in the car. So true. It's kind of like a just a dog's perspective on life, really, is all that is. Except for the vet, they know dude, when you get to. They're not. They, they don't do. Like, dude, I wasn't. That, I wasn't. Vet. I wasn't as down as a, as a dog. Though I was like kind of shook about it. And I've had. I think I've had not very many nightmares in my life. I can't really remember too many. I had one vivid nightmare, and this is the part in the film that you see is like me with these French dudes, and they took me up to the this high line, and they gave me like a morning in the valley to learn how to slack line, and then like tomorrow we're going up. I'm like, really? (laughs) And so that night, I had this dream where I woke up and I thought, like, there was no doubt in my mind that I was sleeping on one of those portal ledges. You know, the climbers set up when they're doing massive climbs. I thought I was on a portal ledge and that they had, the film crew had just taken me up and put me on the side of this (laughs) cliff. 
this is how much trust I had in them. <laughs> and so I'm going, I'm feeling around me on the bed and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> and then I see this little strip of light that's coming out from under the curtains from like outside and then it all starts to kind of click and I'm like, oh, oh, wait. And then I like flick the light on and I'm in the hotel room. Oh, man. I was like, oh, man. What am I getting myself into here? <laughs> Literal Dude. nightmare. Guaranteed, yeah. like guaranteed, like me and Buds are out there, and there's a slack line, and we're hooked up. I'm just going fuck that. I'm yeah. out. I'm out. You're not getting me to jump. At on least they didn't put you in a wingsuit, man. Dude, I know, but they, they did. They did to. throw me off a cliff on what they call a rope jump. So there's like bungee jumping right on a bungee, and there's a rope jump. is basically a bungee jump that they set up with climbing ropes oh, in this huge canyon, and they have them all, all these climbing ropes rigged up. So they're not like bungees, but they have like a little given in them. And they rig it up so basically you jump off a cliff and you have the complete free fall that you do when you base jump because there's no tension from a bungee. And you, this thing, you're in a harness and it's just strapped onto your back and you just launch off and you just fully fly and then it like catches you right at the bottom. And that was intense. You did Good that. As. Yeah, but I would I'd fly anywhere in the world to go do that again with them. It was really? so, so sick. Because it's basically base jumping without any of the like skill involved. Yeah. I'm not rocking with any of that stuff, dude. You got to trust those guys, dude. Well, they had this huge bag full of rocks that they tied to it, and they're like, yeah, this is the test. Check it out. And they threw this. I had to throw this huge uh, bag with rocks in it off to, like, test all the ropes. But, man, this is just, like, homies tying knots with yeah, climbing yeah, ropes exactly. in a canyon. And I'm saying. like, <laughs> word. <laughs> I like the bag of rock test. That's pretty tight. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'm like an adrenaline <laughs> junkie. You know, those people who are like, fucking, yeah, let's do it. Because they kept talking to me about being like an adrenaline junkie. I'm like, uh. Well, they just figure you are. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty it's calculated. Like, yeah, it's calculation and years of <laughs> yeah, practice. Yeah. Not just straight jump off a building not, and see I'm, what happens. I'm not just seeking the rush. <laughs> yeah. Just cross eyed. Mm-hmm. Dude, you adrenaline junkie. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> like, no, we snowboard and go down the hill. Not really. It's more about tricks. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got to fucking fly. The flies are back. Oh, man. Okay, so one thing we uh, talk about on the show quite a bit is we ask our snowboarders, like, you know, if you're, if, if you're a young kid c- trying to come up in skiing or snowboarding, like, do you have any advice for? A young kid trying to make it in skiing. Just get really good. And everything else will take care of itself. I think there's like a... I guess it's kind of a hustler's mentality, but like, you know, people want to try to figure out like ways in which they can like facilitate becoming a pro or whatnot, you know, like what's the best way to do it. And I honestly just think like get super, super good so that people can't ignore you and every single thing else is going to follow. You know, if you get really good and you get consistent, you can do well at comps, you can do well at comps, you get noticed, you get noticed, keep doing well at comps, sponsors will start coming in and just continue doing that. Um, I think it is kind of simple. I mean, you can, you know, there there are things that you can get better at doing. You know, I guess like social media and that kind of thing is like so huge now that the game is probably a little different than, well, it is very different than when I grew up. But I think if you get really good at writing, then people can't ignore you. And that's basically the bottom line. Um, yeah. I think that's fucking fantastic advice. If you look at 
you know, the average, we, we, I get DMs all the time about this. How do I get sponsored? And it's, it's, that's the wrong question. How do I get good? Because mm-hmm. how do we, you got to end, you're engineering it the wrong way. You're engineering, how do I get good? That's what you need to do. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you're good and Jossie's going up to chairlift and you are just blowing the doors off the park, he's going to, and you have good style and you look cool. That's another thing. Let me chime in. Focus on how you're doing something. Especially if you're young right now, there are so many kids that can do every trick that you can do. Everyone's so good now. What's going to set you apart is the way that you do it. Put your own personal flair on it. Focus focus so much on those tiny details. Really try to finesse every trick that you can do so that it's literally perfect. Like Just because you're grabbing your ski and spinning a certain rotation and landing like that doesn't necessarily make it sick like make it your own put your own flavor on it so that you can stand out amongst the crowd because there are so many people out there that are so good right now and i think there's with with a focus on like competition and learning these big tricks i think sometimes the the focus on the way it's being done falls by the wayside so uh yeah, if you wanna if you wanna be a pro and you wanna get sponsors and do the whole thing, then uh, get super good and do your tricks really dope. Great answer. It is a good answer because imagine if MFM all of a sudden was reborn and came out today, we would still notice him all over again because 100%. of the way he did his stuff and the way he looked with that special. He put his own shit on everything he did. Straight up, you want know something funny? I used to watch MFM. When I was a kid, it's probably like early teens, mid-teens, I would watch MFM videos. And that was like my inspiration. So I started... You used to be baggy dog. I started, I started ditching my poles, riding with my jacket fully undone. <laughs> and I just used to mash around Snow Park. Do you remember that the footage from Snow Park? There was like man-made little cliff drop that they had. Mm-hmm. You ever see that? So I would just roll around. Trying to do nolly straight air, gorilla not moving, MFM is. <laughs> and that's still like stuck with me today, you know, like that that type of, those are the types of riders that like, you know, left an impact on me when I was young were like the dudes that really put the flavor on it. Like I still, that goon clip of that handrail and brick where it's like the flat bar closeout to like drop over the two mm-hmm. steps and he does that back th- Fitty fitty back three and kind of like shifties, shifties it shifties. like right around. Yeah. He's, got, he's got the blue pants on, the blue camoey pants on or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Like it's those I types of clips. Yeah, those types of clips to me growing up was what like really spoke to me. And so with my riding, I always just like focus so much on like those tiny details. With that little extra you know, detail that's going to yeah. really make it stand out, huh? Flavor country. Flavor, flavor country. country, baby. Welcome to flavor country. Well, let's uh, get into a couple other questions. Best style on skis. Who you got? I would say that Phil Casabon has my favorite style on skis. Best style on a snowboard? Mm, currently Nick Baden. Worst style on skis? <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> uh, are you going to plead the fifth or are you going to roast somebody? Uh, <laughs> roast. Too many. 
<laughs> Too many to name. Okay, good. good. Answer, That's a good, good answer. answer. You kind of, it's like you just know, throwing shade at everyone, not just one person. <laughs> it's kind of like when you ask, uh, you ask Louis Vito how much money he makes. Uh, he's he can dodge that like the Matrix. Yeah, like the guy dodging the bullets. He's just, yeah. You're not getting that. You're, you're not, not gonna getting get that right. answer. Actually, we never talked. One other bisque talk before we wrap it up. You got. Uh, let's get into some earnings, like contest years. You know, like mm. you know, best year. How much money you won doing contests when you got some X Games medals and all that? Not really. I don't know. I was always just skiing, you know? It was like... Someone else was handling that for you? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. And just kind of like I didn't... I wasn't focused on it. Your you know? parents was handling it? Or? Yeah, parents had out. I got an agent as well. Agent helped out with that kind of stuff. And, and you were just I don't know. I just wanted to shred, you know? And so I was always just focusing on that. Um but, I mean, back then, back in the day, like, when there was a lot of events and stuff and the prize money was good, like, you could make out, like, some pretty good cash if you were doing well. Um, I know, like, I, I don't know, I haven't counted up for myself or anything, but I know f that, like, Simon Dumont one year when that ski tour event I was talking about was on with, like, X Games and ski tour or maybe even just the ski tour alone, like, homie made out with, like, a quarter mil on just prize money. Because we all the homies and us, we were like, calculate, because Simon just was crushing that season. Like, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. It gets to the end of the season, and we were like, and he just, he won like the last event. And we're all like, damn, dude, how much money did Simon hustle this year? And just from like the comps that we knew about with just the prize money, it was like a quarter mil or something. Mental. Not including sponsors. He's kind of, no, that was he's straight up Louis Vito. Yeah, right? he that, 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 that was like straight up prize money, you know? That's a classic Vito. Don't tell right us there. what you made, but tell yeah, us what like you that. might, maybe I mean, someone else I mean, made dude, that did what you did. <laughs> dude, when it comes to the bisque, like, dude, I've always thought when it comes to bisque, like, any money that you earn from doing this is free money. Like, straight up. Like, yeah, we are working hard. We're in the backcountry grinding now. We, like, in the comp scene, you're like, you're grinding hard and, you know, you, you get rewarded for that. But, like, you're doing something you'd be doing anyway. You know, when it comes to shredding, like, maybe you wouldn't push it as hard as you were when it was, like, when, when it's a job, you know? Like, you do have responsibilities and you have that motivation to, like, step up and, like, handle your biz. But at the same time, man, we're shredding. And, like, being able to make a career and earn a living shredding is, like, so crazy. So, I mean, With brands making money off you, though, you got to... You know yeah, what I realized, Buds, though? That's true. You know who doesn't talk about how much best they make? People that make a people lot of People that money. make a lot of best. That's a classic <laughs> move. That's like, you see all and, the people that make a lot of best don't talk best. It's best. all mellow, you know? Oh, yeah. No, we're just going to just kind of not give you some numbers because I make a shitload of best. We get it. All right. <laughs> it's a you don't fact, need to give us the runaround about how it's all a blessing. It's all you do it anyways. <laughs> I do it anyways. I would let Whatever. these brands <laughs> just sell my name and, and my likeliness and... Dude, that's actually a good point. I never really saw it from that point of view. I just saw it from my point of view. Like, damn, I get to ride all the time. This is sick. Your sponsors must have loved that you saw it that way. Yeah, true. <laughs> He's been uh, with Atomic for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> watching edit on YouTube to do during my research. Long time. Watching him as a little uh, bobblehead grom on Atomics. Yeah, these things go hard. Oh, you got a pro model ski? Uh, I did a ski with Atomic for a number of years. I think we did like five, six years of it. It's called the Infamous. Um, and I kind of designed and did the graphic each year and designed the ski um but that one's been discontinued and now i'm riding on these ones which are the chris ben chetler's oh ski. he's a g let's give yeah, him he's a huge g um so yeah he's got a cool range of skis um that rep in the backcountry i've been riding a set 
park this year as well. Um, yeah, dude designed a six ski, and he's the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's probably not going to like that I made fun of Adventure Vans if he listens to this because I think he's. I mean, he has. He's like. This is he's, sick. He's the pinnacle of the Adventure Van. His is actually dope. The his wood is, on the dude, inside. His thing is so yeah. sick. Um, sorry. He's definitely got mountains on the side of his. <laughs> <laughs> they all do, man. If, well, if you're feeling personally attacked because of that, well, it, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> it's a personal attack. Okay, so um, I think we've been doing it, man. We've been chatting for a minute. I think we can start wrapping up. Do you want to? Uh, Say thank you to anybody before we get out of here. Damn, too many. Um, first and foremost, Bruce and Stacy Wells. Yep, everything. Uh, my bros, Byron, Bo James, and Jackson, best homies. Love you guys. Um, I mean, all the sponsors that have, you know, supported my lifestyle since a young age and been able to make this dream of mine a reality year after year. Um, shout out Atomic Skis. Shout out Monster Energy. Shout out the North Face. Shout out Dragon Alliance. Shout out Dance Socks. And Cadrona Alpine Resort. Thank you guys. Uh, shout out Torin and our crew uh, for embarking on this uh, current project. And I've uh, been having a blast with those guys. Huge shout out to them. Shout out my girlfriend, Victoria. I love you. And shout out to the boys for having me on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hyped to have you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, you know, before we wrap it up, too, what, what's, ne- what's next for the kid? Dude, you've done it all. You got, what, six X Games medals. Freaking, you've made your own films, all this stuff. What What's next for Jossie Wells? I'm going to keep trying to make ski films, but I'm getting a little more involved in, like, every aspect of it. So, uh I bought a red cam at the start of the season, so I've been, like, filming half the time and f- skiing half the time. Um, kind of, uh, well, I don't know, just, like, having it in the pack. So, you know, when I'm done sessioning, then I'll get the cam out and shoot another angle for what we're doing. And I'm just, I'm super interested in kind of getting into the whole, all the different aspects of producing films. Um, and obviously the photography stuff on the side as well, kind of more passion, but I think... Uh, yeah, I just want to be more involved in the projects that I'm I'm helping to make, and um, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm into the filming side of things. It's super fun. Did you, when say you get a red cam in the pack? Yeah, I got that little. Just happen to have a red cam chilling in the bag dude, in case that, you want to pull it out. That little Komodo, the new one. Oh, that the came new out. one. Yeah, yeah. Sick. Um, one man media show, but dude, Photo, yo, video. shout out any of the filmers and photographers out there lugging these camera bags around for however long, like. We as writers have never understood that. And this season, dude, your boy's back has been getting... (laughs) You got a tripod? Yep, tripod on the sled, dude. That really adds to the weight. Oh, man, like... Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. And the snowmobile (laughs) is brutal. The snowmobile whoops just a carrier. It's so gnarly, man. Yeah. But yeah, the no, end of the day, whoops can just really be just like, really? I know, I know, dude. I know. But, I mean... That's a sick thing. It's like when you're on the other side of the lens and you clip your homie up, it feels just as good as when you got clipped up. You know, yeah, clip so, high, clip high, clip high. It's the good. Media gets clipped high. That's why they're out there. Straight up. So yeah, that's what what I'm kind of doing in this future here is just uh, trying to be more involved in the projects I'm doing and not just being the skier dude. So obviously, still want to ski and progress in that, and uh, and yeah, just trying to make some cool projects to put out and enjoy the process with all the homies. Young Steven Spiel out there enjoying the process. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we enjoyed talking to you. 
We appreciate you guys for listening, watching, and we will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.